26th meeting of the Lawrence Metropolitan Planning Commission, Lawrence Douglas County Metropolitan Planning Commission. And uh, first out of the box, this is still a hybrid meeting. So I'm gonna have Becky Pepper read uh, the rundown of that. Thank you very much. My name is Becky Pepper, Planning Manager. Joining me here in the City Commission Room is Jeff Crick, Planning and Development Services Director, and Drew Bilby, who will be helping to facilitate this Zoom video portion of the meeting. We will work alongside the Chair to facilitate the meeting proceedings. As mentioned before we begin, I do have a few um, housekeeping items for this hybrid meeting. This meeting is being recorded and broadcast on the City's YouTube channel and Cable Channel 25. Please remember to mute yourself during the meeting when you're not speaking. The chat function for this public meeting is disabled. All chats will go directly to the Zoom facilitator. Unless you're participating during the meeting, please turn your video off. This allows the active meeting participants to be seen on screen. You'll still be able to hear the meeting. And when you are participating, please turn your video on. If you have any trouble, you can send a chat to the Zoom facilitator. The city reserves the right to mute people or turn individual videos off to minimize distraction during the meeting. And with that, I will turn the meeting back over to the chair. Thank you, Becky. Um, first thing right away under general business um, is a request to move the agenda items. Uh, move the agenda item number three to first up, that would be considering the text amendment to the city smart code, um, doing this in order so that the applicant's representative can be with us this evening. So I move that we take number item three and have that first up. I have a second. Second. All those in favor? Aye. 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 <laughs> okay. Sure. So that's it. That's at your discretion. <clears throat> yeah. No, I was told that it was going to be a vote. Oh, okay. Okay. So never had. So next up, communications. Do we have any written communications to receive from the public? All communications were included as part of the packet. Thank you. Um, do we have any written communications from staff, planning commissioners, or other commissioners? None this evening. Um, do we need to receive any written action of any or any action written action of any waiver requests or determinations made by the city engineer? Also none this evening. Do any commissioners need to disclose ex parte communications? Seeing none. Um, any declaration of abstentions from specific agenda items? Excuse me. No. Okay. Uh, then uh, we will go ahead and take general public comment at this time. This is for the public to come and content comment on any items not on the agenda this evening. Does anybody wish to make a public comment in the room? Anybody online wish to make just a general public comment? Seeing none, uh, we will move on to the regular agenda for this evening. And as we started with, we're going to start with item number three um, to consider a text amendment to the city's smart code. Um, the staff presenting this uh, request is Sandy Day. Good evening, Commissioner Sandy Day, Planning Office. This item is for a text amendment to the smart code. The SMART code is a set of regulations governing land use that are parallel to the land development code, but are separate from the land development code. Um, there are some process, processes that are similar and overlap, and then there are others um, that are totally distinct and unique to the SMART code. So the proposed request is to allow for a self-storage 
um, type of land use to be permitted in transect zone five or T5. Uh, we only have one of those in the community today, and that is the proxy project that's located on 23rd Street. Uh, there are two components of the text amendment. They address whether or not the proposed text amendment corrects an error or an inconsistency in the development code or meets the challenge of a changing condition. And then the other evaluation criteria is whether the proposed text amendment is consistent with the comprehensive plans and the stated purpose and actually that is to 20-104, which is the land development code. Um, so it, there, there are some oddities in how we look at text <clears throat> amendments um, in there. The um, uses, the um, storage use is permitted in special districts. Special districts are those that would be defined uniquely to a project rather than in a specific transect zone. The land development code, I'm sorry, the SMART code does not define land uses the way we find them in land development code. And they are specifically listed in um, various tables in the SMART code. Um, and then it also looks at how those land uses function within the form of where they are placed within a particular transect zone. The T5 transect zone is most comparable to the development patterns that we see along our arterial streets um, and they can have some depth to them so that you can have uh, a mix of uses within a particular transect zone rather than having uh, CS or CN or CC 600 and multifamily, you would have everything kind of governed in that. As staff looked at the evaluation criteria, um, particularly as it pertains to the inconsistency with the development code or with the challenges to changing conditions, it's really the changing conditions component that uh, we focused on in this particular assessment. Uh, the applicant is proposing a type of self-storage that is supportive to the residential housing that you find in the proxy. It is also something that is um, can be converted um, so that if in the future there are other commercial uh, tenants that may be more valuable to the project, they that pro property could be converted um, for that ground floor commercial retail. Um, as staff looked at it, um, it, it became uh, clearer that this kind of self-storage use could be something that is consistent within the T5 zoning district and staff's recommendation is to place this use as something that is by a warrant. Warrants and variances are techniques in the SMART code that allow um, a process to look at something that would not normally fit or fit with only certain conditions. Variances um, are something that go to a different body, whereas a warrant is something that is assessed at, at the staff level that is part of a committee. Um, and that committee is made up of members from uh, municipal services. It, it used to be public works, but municipal services and operations, fire planning um, to be able to assess those specific uh, criteria for that particular use. 
jumping around a little bit. There's a lot to unpack with the SMART code and this may be something that will be helpful as the applicant kind of explains their perspective of what this text amendment is about and then for staff to be able to answer questions um, about it. There, it's just not one of those things that fits neatly into our processes as we look at trying to uh, make modifications in the SMART code because it's such a unique piece of uh, land use and zoning and development processes within the city. Um, ultimately, staff did recommend um, support of the proposed request and I'm happy to answer any uh, questions that you may have um, or let that conversation happen and uh, be here for other questions following your conversations. Thank you, Sandy. Um, and before we have the applicant speak, I just want to remind any, everybody of the process of so the applicant will now have 10 minutes um, to speak. Public comment will be three minutes each and then um, applicant response is five minutes. So if the applicant, representative of the ap applicant, Mr. Watkins. Yeah, thank you, Chair. My name is Patrick Watkins. It's nice to see you all again uh, tonight. I'm here on behalf of Opus Development Group. Uh, this is the group that built the three-story building near 23rd and Osdale. Uh, it's called Proxy. It's primarily a, a student residential building, but it, uh, as Sandy mentioned, it, it's, it was designed to be a mixed-use building. Um, and, and you probably have driven by it. I see some nodding heads up there, but we're here to introduce what we think is a really novel and dynamic concept. It has to be classified under storage um, because that's what it is. Um, and there are some photos in your staff report about it, but it's a student centric uh, type of storage. It's a, it's a concept that we haven't seen here in, in Lawrence. It's smaller sized uh, storage units some you could probably classify as a locker in some some respects. Um, they're climate controlled, they're fully automated, and it's designed to be in part an amenity for the 300 beds that are in this building. Um, Yanni Ventris is here too, he is with Opus, um, and I, I do wanna make sure to re recognize him, but it could be used from, for anything uh, from a bike to a musical instrument, to a change of wardrobe, to something much bigger, um, but they don't get much bigger than 10 by 10. And so it's designed to uh, accommodate some of the non-traditional students speci specifically in this building uh, that don't get a lot of storage, um, but they might be here over a break. They might be here for an entire year without going home. Um, we know that there's a strong market for this. We know that this concept has succeeded in other places and we're excited to bring it here. Unfortunately, it's not allowed. Um, it might be allowed up and down 23rd Street, if you have the commercial strip zoning designation, but this is a smart code property and it technically that use table doesn't have a check mark on, on this particular box. So we think we're asking for a pretty minor uh, little text amendment uh, with regard to that. And as uh, Sandy mentioned, it, it's not just an allowance, it's a warrant. It has to be discussed by the team uh, and approved in that sense. Um, placing storage at this property is not optimal for anyone, including Opus. They had ambitious plans and they took major risks to get out on 23rds. They're, they're sort of pioneers in that sense, bringing density to a part of town that hasn't seen it. And I think it's in line with our, you know, master planning documents to try and develop these areas and, and breathe new life. They happen to be the first one there. Um, they want restaurants. They want dynamic residential focused commercial space. But as soon as they started building, the pandemic hit and people stopped signing leases. They needed double drive-throughs. 
they needed things that this place cannot afford. Um, uniquely, uh, this is a, an amenity for the building because it has so many residences, so many residences uh, that are designed for students. It also preserves the ability to activate the plaza area out in front of the building because this is fully automated. You would enter in from the side. It doesn't require a lot of parking, which we know this property is already stressed for, but that plaza area can still be activated for the residential tenants. Um, they have ideas and plans uh, for, for using that as more residential focused space instead of uh, individual bays for commercial for use. So I think still, even though this isn't optimal, um, it still could fit and it still works in some ways. And as Sandy mentioned, this particular type of product can be removed. It's sort of like boxes that can be fit into place, used for some time, and then removed later. And, and that's what we're hoping. Um, we're hoping to get back to res, uh, restaurants. We're hoping to get back to, to amenities that uh, will draw more people to live at this site. But this is an interim use that uh, we think the pandemic has largely affected and, and caused this particular issue. You're not likely to see much opposition to this request um, with regard to uh, this property. We went through this development uh, uh, process a couple of years ago, and, and we found out that there isn't much of it. I mean, there is a neighborhood here, but it's primarily commercial uses in a couple of apartment complexes. We just didn't get much interaction. Uh, and you're not likely to have to feel a lot of policy concerns. As Sandy mentioned, this is a class of one. There's no other smart code properties in the in the city. So if, if if there is concern about, you know, what does this lead to starting a text amendment when, when uh, we haven't really used the smart code, it's really applying to one property. And I don't know that there's any plans for any other smart code developments, at least in the near term. Um, so I, I, that, I love a good debate about policy, but it may not be totally necessary tonight. Um, we are available for questions. Um, we're uh, pleased to be able to activate that first floor space, um, but this is an optimal circumstances. Um, so we appreciate your attention. Um, we're here for any questions. Thank you. Thank you. Now we're at the public comment uh, phase. Is there any public comment on this project? We'll start with those in the room. Seeing no public comment in the room, I'll turn to online. Um, is there anybody wishing to speak on this item online who is on the Zoom call? Okay, seeing none, I'll bring it back to the commission for discussion. Um, Carter. Thank you. I have a question for uh, for Sandy. And as uh, Mr. Watkins said, this is a pretty unusual property, um, and it's not entirely clear to me how this text amendment would affect future applications. This may be the only property now, but uh, would a text amendment make this use basically um, available by right for for the T five transect, or would it still require some you know? something like this process, we would have, you know, uh, compared to a special use permit or something like that. Sandy Day, planning office, that's, you're, you're right on the mark there. Um, in the T, if the text amendment is approved, it would change um, the tables in, I think it's uh, table 10 or 11 in the smart code and allow this use to be permitted by warrant. So, if thinking of it similar to a special use permit is helpful, um, it is 
along those lines. The difference is um, the SMART code does not have special use permits the way we think of them in the land development code. A special use permit comes to this body and then on to the city commission. Within this SMART code, um, this special use, if you will, by warrant would go to the committee for review before it would be approved. So there's, there is still, it's not a straight staff administrative review. It's not permitted by right. Um, we would still look at it at that committee level before it could go forward. Um, and I just kind of double checked um, the code language. There are variances in the um, SMART code and the variances actually would go to the Board of Zoning Appeals oddly, which is a board that's created through um, the land development code. What I can tell you um, in reviewing this text amendment and a couple other questions that have come up about the use of the SMART code <clears throat> is that um, there are a number of sections in the SMART code that need to be revisited. They're either out of sync with how we do things or they just have um, bad references because they, they go back, say, to sections in the subdivision regulations that are no longer sections. Um, so there's a lot of work that needs to be done in the SMART code, and I would expect that we may have that conversation as, as we're talking about some of the other changes um, with the new code. So I, I don't envision that this text amendment is going to create um, a problematic situation down the line if somebody else chooses to use the SMART code is certainly not in the next two years. Great, thanks very much. That's all I need. Commissioner Retro, did you have a comment? I was kind of going down that same path. I was thinking about it. Um, I, I guess, uh, are, we, are we talking about making an approval on a specific project? Are we talking about making where uh, where we need to make this change, or are we talking about a text amendment change where this project is the context to help us understand why we're making it? So is it the latter? It is a text amendment. Right. So it will not yeah. be this specific to this. And it'll enable the project. Yes, enable the project. to a specific approval on the project itself, right. Um, and if we looked at not transect, transect five area, but what would what would the equivalent of that be? CS zoning. Um, it's is there an equivalent? Staff, I believe. Is there, Sandy might based on density, but yes, Sandy, Sandy. might uh, agree with this one. It's it's got there's about five different commercial zoning districts that would equate to a T five zone. Among them would be probably CS, CC, CR, CD, and probably one I'm forgetting about. Um, so if you really want to think about it, it really compresses the, the multitude of what you would see in the land development code into five. All right. So, so generally speaking, of that cluster of possible, well, I'll use the word traditional zoning categories, does this um, capability exist by right now in those um, areas in the code or do they require a special use permit? Sandy Day Planning Office, this use, if somebody wanted to propose to do some type of self-storage in the SMART code, they would actually have to request a district called a special district. And that is because classic 
self-storage um, would be one of those uses. I think that the smart code really says it's an outlier. It's not something that really fits within the context of traditional neighborhoods or walkable neighborhoods, um, that kind of thing. So it would be a special district. Um, the most similar thing I can tell you um, would be in the land development code is, is if we had a, a plan development where you structure everything about that particular development in the plan development, uses, setback, density, intensity, landscaping, lighting, all of those components get built out in the plan development. That's the most comparable component um, to what a um, special district would be in the SMART code. And we don't have any of those. They're, they're really intended for kind of those developments or there's areas in a community that just don't fit the definition of a T1, a T2, a T3, a T4, a T5. A T5.5 is is really our downtown area and that use is not even allowed in, in that district. Does that help? I think so. I guess generally what I was trying to understand was in the, in the land code that we have today, not smart code, but land code, is this use allowed? Um, would we have to go through a special use permitting process to get to this or is it just there by right? Sandy Day Planning Office, that's correct. This use is is a use that would be permitted in many districts right. by right. Got it. All right. Thank you for that, Sandy. Sure. Follow-up question there, Sandy. And so just to confirm that use would be permitted in commercial strip, which is kind of predominantly around this property. Is that correct? Sandy Day Planning Office. Yes, that's correct. Thank you. Uh, Commissioner Carpenter. So Sandy, what we're doing here is we're being asked to amend the SMART code as a whole to allow this one building to request a warrant for this particular use. Is that correct? Sandy Day Planning Office, that is correct. So the text amendment has to take place and be completed before the applicant could be move forward with their building application in the SMART code. That this, this type of warrant would then be available for anybody else in the T5 transect anytime a SMART code project might be proposed in the future, right? Sandy Day Planning Office. Yes, it could be. Um, again, it would be something that would that would be permitted by warrant. Um, so, yes, it's permitted, um, but it's permitted by warrant rather than by right. Slight. So, yes, to go with go down the the line of our vice chair. Um, try to apply this to the normal land development code, what would be an analogy that we would do an amendment and then what kind of, would you have to apply for a special use permit to do this? Sandy because Day Planning Office, the, the type of application, the most similar application would be a site plan that staff reviews administratively. Um, and, and this is really the difficulty. Um, there's not really a way to normalize the SMART code 
in the conventional thinking of the land development code. And so hopefully these analogies are working for you. They're, they're kind of the best, most similar thing that we can do. Uh, the SMART code really was intended and adopted to be very transformative in terms of the design product that you get out of it. Um, there's some work to be done in the SMART code, quite frankly, and at a bigger scale than just this specific request. Um, and I think the other thing about all of this is that um, the product that the applicant is talking about um, is is yet even another iteration of what self-storage looks like. Um, I was surprised as I've looked um, in the in different areas in the Kansas City area where I'm starting to see self-storage in um, a lot of different commercial, conventional commercial type development areas. Um, so I don't know that the way land uses are working today that self-storage and particularly climate controlled self-storage is relegated to just those industrial outlier away from everything all other kind of uses use if that makes some sense well it all sounds something to look at when we're updating the, the leon development code <laughs> but it's hard for me to wrap my head around this we have yes we only have one example of the use of the smart code. This thing was adopted in 2006. It was promoted as, you know, smart growth and urban design and mixed use and all those types of things. And then it sat on the shelf until two years ago when it, this is the only project that's ever made use of it. Um, but I'm just thinking, you know, they're coming here tonight saying that we can't lease this space the way we wanted to lease the space. While at the same time, we have condominiums and hotels and the here apartment project that all have empty space on the bottom floor as part of our multi-use design that's been you know, promoted for years that hasn't been leased since they've been opened. So are we saying, okay, this is great. We'll change it because your smart code. How long until we see somebody come and want to do a text amendment to permit this type of use in every other building that can't lease their commercial space on their ground floor? That's been there for even much longer than this building. Has anyone approached uh, planning staff about redefining what this ground floor commercial space is in the, all the other buildings that have ground floor commercial space. The Andy Day Planning Office, I I can't say that I have sat in on any pre-submittals asking either specifically about a particular property or um, globally doing a text amendment. I think there are definitely pieces that we probably are talking about in different groups. Um, Jeff could probably speak to that a little bit in terms of what's going on with the rewrite of, of the current code. Um, I think there's a lot of different aspects that are affecting that ground floor rental. Um, I think we could take this conversation a lot of different ways. Um, I'm going to stop here. Well, I, you know, that's, that's, that's what's 
happening in my head. This is going in all different directions yeah. by permitting this for one building, by amending this one code process that's been used one time that may not survive the rewrite of the land development code or aspects of this may be incorporated into the land development code, but I don't know where we're going with this. Um, the other aspect just about the smart code in general is notice requirements. Could you tell us what notice requirements are to the public under the smart code and the opportunity for the public to have any input? Sandy Day planning, I do not know the notice requirements off the top of my head. I would have to look that up. So if that's something you'd like to give um, Jeff or I a moment to do, I don't okay. recall exactly what that is. I'm gonna maybe, maybe while they're um, doing that, Commissioner Thomas had a comment. I'd like to hear from the guy who came up with this idea. And I guess that is you, that uh, you, you saw a need for this, the building, the retail space was not being used. Where has this idea been used and how, how do you see that benefiting, again, the, the people that not just live there, but that can use this? Yanni Vrentis, Opus Development Company. Um, we were approached by SmartLock, the company that provides the infrastructure for this uh, use, and they have been targeting um, college campuses such as College Station where Texas A&M is located, um, Texas Tech and other Texas schools based on their uh, headquarters. Um, we saw it as a amenity, as Pat said, to our residents who uh, come from further areas of the country, uh, whether it's Chicago, Minneapolis, all spread out where maybe they don't get home as often as kids coming from Kansas City who can go swap out their winter clothes for their warm weather clothes or store their tuba or workout equipment, whatever that may be. Um, and so it just gives us another advantage in terms of leasing up our residential component of our project and also serving the other apartment projects around ours. The Rockland is um, behind us to the south and um, other smaller apartment projects. And so it probably says someplace in here the sizes of these storage units. What yeah, they're like Legos. I mean, this largest is 10 by 10 and they get down to like a high school locker size. So if we were to move forward with this, we would ask the uh, the company SmartLock their uh, preferred structure, how they which ones go quicker in terms of uh, selling and leasing. Well, on the whole, it seems to me that you have come up with a great plan for wasted space that is doing nothing that should, in theory, benefit a good many people. Yeah, and Pat touched on it a little. We would love for it to be a sports bar, or a smoothie place, or something that's a little, a little more um, appealing, but this allows us to make a quick change. Um, we haven't discussed a lease structure, but we would be looking to be able to terminate, terminate this relatively easily. And because they're like Legos and stackable, it would be a minimal process to get everything out and get a tenant in there should the 
market shift in our favor. Yeah. Do you want to go, David? Oh. Well, I, I just want to um, ask if the staff has found a an answer to the question at, at hand. There's see a lot of different notices that show up in the codes and the way it goes on, but typically what you would see in this code for something in the site planning or something equivalent to that is that code, and I won't go into the, the language details because it gets a little murky in there for a bit because it talks about different application types we've not brought up this evening but it does have a 200 foot notice requirement that would be sent in applications that would be equivalent to our site planning process so and just as a reminder the site planning process today has a 400 foot application window or excuse me 400 foot notice window under today's land development code and sandy feel free to add in yeah. if i'm missing one or not <laughs> See, sandy day planning um jeff jeff is right in the most similar well the same process that we use for site planning would be for the applicant to send notice of the submittal of their application that it's in for review and then if um if a property owner or a member of the public is aggrieved by that decision made by um the committee's review or by that administrative process, then they can appeal that to the city commission much like they would appeal a site plan uh, determination. So it follows, um, actually it says in accordance with section 20-1301 Q4, which is land of development code citation. So this particular code, um, weaves itself back and forth through the land development code and that's part of what makes this messy um trying to figure out all of the different processes uh, i don't have them committed to memory because as you can see we only have the one project that we've done through the smart code and and it was a unique project in and of itself um thank you answer the question okay Commissioner Carpenter, does that answer the question? There are a couple other commissioners that have. That answers the question right now. Okay. Mr. Carter? Um, I have a question either for uh, Mr. Watkins or Mr. Brentis. If you could, um, I'd like to paint a couple of scenarios. I'm, I'm wondering about like kind of the quality of life of the neighbors. One, um, you imagine somebody decides to you know store their stuff in this locker while they go visit home. Um, while they're home, they decide to stay there to do something. Uh, who bears responsibility for making the lo that locker available to someone else? And what happens with the stuff? I'm not totally familiar with that process, but it would be on the tenant in a situation, uh, smart lock. Okay. I'm sure they have a procedure for abandoned lockers. Okay. Um, my other, my other uh, scenario is, uh, you know, sports bar materializes that's going to pay more rent than, you know, you're going to get from the smart, uh, smart lock uh, contract. Um, people have been working directly with smart lock for this service. So again, like who bears responsibility for taking making these folks whole or making you know taking care of their stuff yeah so the customer will enter into some sort of lease with smart lock and that document will cover a scenario where smart lock is no longer available mm -hmm. and not to say that someone else comes along and smart lock completely disappears but maybe the footprint changes and mm -hmm. along those lines so it'll be we wouldn't just pull the rug out of okay. people Sure. So it'll be between Smart Lock and the and yes. The, uh, We're simply the landlord. They're the operating business. Okay. Thank you. 
Commissioner. Come oh, go ahead. It's okay. Commissioner Rexford. Um, the pile on uh, Charlie's comment just a little bit. Um, uh, I think about this in two ways. One is the question of the text amendment um, in and of itself with this project as the context for it. And then think about the project itself. Um, talk about the latter first for a moment. Um, and I, maybe I'm thinking about this wrong, but I, to me, this is another form of mixed use. It was maybe not intent, maybe not designed from the beginning that way, but it's a, another application of, of a service. You called it an amenity to uh, um, the uh, tenants there, but I, gosh, I could see that adding value to their experience, just like a sports bar or a juice or whatever the thing, the other things are. Um, so I, you know, I, and, and the fact that it's available by right where you just zoned more traditionally, I, I guess I, I don't have any problem with that as a process, or I'm sorry, as a, as a project. When I, I think about the question though in front of us, the, the text amendment, to me that seems like we're, we're really trying to bring more alignment to uh, the, the similarities between uh, Land Development Code and this particular aspect of Smart Code, um, and given that it's already allowed in similar scenarios with Land Development Code, and given that um, we have the the additional protection should another Smart Code project come along, and I can't imagine why anybody would want to, given this, but if should another come along, it's protected by the warrant process. So, so personally, from from all those things with project itself and then just the one narrow question what we're being asked to do i i'm inclined to support that i believe i've heard so far if other commissioners that haven't spoken yet on don't have a comment i want to touch back with um commissioner carpenter if he has any follow-up thoughts um after questions have been answered well <clears throat> i do have a question for jeff if with the update of the land development code the smart code disappears we would have this large non-conforming use would it actually be a non-conforming use or would it be able to fit into a zoning use category under the new land development code so we don't have a non-conforming use because we don't want to create a non-conforming use it, there's a lot of different avenues it could run out at, depending upon which way the, the steering committee and the code looks at it could run into a nonconformity where it has a zoning district that doesn't match the T5 if the chapter 21 is decided to be shelved. That could be a situation if 21 stays on the books, it stays just like it is as it is currently today. So. It, I could see a scenario where maybe the steering committee and the code revises to a point where it is a nonconformity. I could also see where it stays as that position stands. So a lot of different possibilities, just we've got a lot of unknowns with the code on, on chapter 20's rewrite at the moment. Is there a possible way that we get rid of the smart code and come up with a zoning overlay or something so this would not turn into a non-conforming use or is this hopeless that, that is a potential that's out there it would just be a matter of understanding the base districts in the way that the code works that that's a possibility yes because i think if they become a non-conforming use we're essentially going to be shutting them down because of the insurance requirements especially with student housing there's going to be a problem but 
and it all depends on how the nonconformity is written. If you look at what chapter 20 does today, if you were legally established and continued that use, you're allowed to stay there and it grants certain exceptions for if you need to do um, an addition or a change, you do have some special setbacks and coverages that come into place there. But under current code, if the property would be damaged to more than 60% of its market value, it would not be allowed to reestablish under the code. So. You know, it's hard to say where we're going with the development code since it's early days and months with it, but there's a lot of avenues out there. And it's something we're trying to keep in mind too, is not even just for this property, but for all properties, is how does that nonconformity look like as the codes evolve and change over time? Because I know we've had discussions in the past that when we do code changes and create nonconforming use, we usually hear from people on the planning commission that are involved with banking or something else about how we've just created an issue a potential issue for insurance because the city has no control over those contracts all we can do is say yes you're non-conforming we're not going to shut you down under our code but you could be shut down because you can't <laughs> insure your property yeah and there's a lot of those things that can come into it but you know the we always want to be very thoughtful with text amendments and code rewrites for that exact reason to make sure that we're not doing a lot of those issues or trying to mitigate those as much as we can. And with a code rewrite, you're always going to run into something like that. It's just a matter of being very thoughtful and diligent about working through all the details. And like I said, I could see a couple of different scenarios. We could take that and, and maybe 21 doesn't stay online after 20 gets revised. I, I, I don't know where we're at yet to give a good picture on that. Well, I mean, if you can't figure it out, I have problems with the whole smart code concept that takes it outside the normal route of coming to the planning commission, that whole public process and making it entirely administrative uh, with the warrant. There doesn't seem that there are as many, as many opportunities for input with the smart code as there are uh, with our normal process under the land development code. And I know some of that's going to change and we're going to streamline parts of it that have to, should be streamlined, but still keep a process in place. So this is kind of like looking at it to me, looking at as though we're amending our comp plan or the land development code or one property without really having an understanding of what the potential impact is across the board. And that's, that's where I struggle with this type of request, especially when we have all these other buildings with the exact same problem in my mind that don't have recourse to this right now. So there's an issue of parity here in my mind too, just what's fair. <clears throat> Um, yeah, um, you know, I would like to just mention um, that considering the approving of, of you know, this uh, text amendment, there's a lot of uh, unknowns and, you know, many of us understand that, but I would like to point out what we know. What we know is that if this doesn't happen, that building, the the floor of that building might, re might, re might remain just the way it is for years. In, in maybe forever, you know, it might be, you know, it might be vacant for as long as that building will be standing. 
And, and if doing something like this, it might, you know, we understand it might open the door for all the all other buildings in the same scenario to apply for the same uh, permit. Well, if they're not using the space the way I see it, why not? If another building in the city has the same problem, that has an entire floor that is vacant, give her give it a purpose. It's needed. Why not? It's, it's that something new doesn't have to be bad. It, if we don't try it, we don't know. If something like this brings an issue in the future, that's what we're here for. We'll deal with it. That's, I mean, what are the solutions are? Either it goes with this or remains empty. Because the way I see it, that building has no parking lot. And it's been remaining empty for, for a while. I drive there often. And uh, and I, I don't see a future for for that space just because there's no parking. The only customers you might have is the one that is walking by. And opening a smoothie shop or a bar, it, you can try, but I don't see any customers driving there and parking two blocks away because it, it, we just simply don't do that. So I'm just inclined to approve this just because it's needed for that building. And if in the future something else come up, that's what we're here for, to, will, to deal with that situation. That's all I wanted to say, thank you. Other thoughts, comments from commissioners? Yeah, I mean, I think it's just, it's just we're just trying to adapt. It's a new world and I think as, as things come up, we're trying to help kind of find something that's workable. So I, you know, yeah, I support it. Yeah. Make one other, thanks. Uh, one other observation. It's just that I'm, I'm not a big fan of self-storage as a general land use in what where we're trying to develop communities. I think this uh, has a very specific purpose, though. It's oriented toward the residents of that facility. It's within the four walls of that facility. Um, and so it's it's a residential service. And, um, uh, I, you know, I see that proxy development as a potential anchor for a growing community. I, you know, I'll disagree with Commissioner Barota a little bit in the sense that I think if developments like that were to expand, um, you might actually have a lot of foot traffic going between, uh, you know, among residents. And, uh, I, you know, if this helps that uh, development uh, remain on on sound footing. I think it's a it's a good thing, and I'm, I'm sensitive to uh, Commissioner Carpenter's observations, but um, I think this is uh, if it ends up influencing other empty uh, first floors of commercial buildings, and we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Maybe we do find this use for you know within similar contexts. Uh, available under redefinition of the land development code. I don't know, but uh, for now, for this development, I think it's probably a pretty good idea. I just want to make one observation. The SMART code was meant to be um, pedestrian friendly. That's the whole purpose of the SMART code. And the very fact that you're pointing out that nobody is going to be using this SMART code development because you can't walk to it is kind of an indication that there should have been a better review process 
then what's av available to the planning commission when a smart code project is submitted. We're basically in an administrative, a ministerial role. We're just informing the planning commission. We want, we're gonna start a smart code project. And we say, great, thanks. Thanks for telling us we can't stop it. We can't influence it. It just goes on its way and it's all done outside of the public eye until somebody gets a notice of a final plan and maybe knows that they can appeal it to the city commission. That's my problem with the smart code. This building was supposed to be pedestrian friendly. They knew where they were putting it, <laughs> why they were doing it. And now they're here asking to be saved or at least part of it so they can lease to one particular type of business. That's, it's not about, we wanna build smart code buildings and put storage in them. This is, we wanna lease to one particular <laughs> company because they'll pay us money for this space. So to me, that's kind of different than what we're trying to do with the land development code. And, and the, the fact that it requires a warrant, that doesn't mean much to me. I mean, who gets noticed? I mean, it's going to go to the fire chief. It's going to go to, you know, public works and planning staff, but nobody else is going to hear about it. So that's just my issue with the smart code. I think this is fine here. I'm not disparaging right. any of this. I'm just saying this whole process yeah. needs to be reviewed, really determine whether it's what we want. And I'm going to be voting no just to kind of send that message, not as not to disparage what they're trying to do here. I mean, this might be just fine. This is no different than a UPS store in a strip mall, you know, that has you rent your mailbox someplace. But and we do have a need, I guess. But you know, back when some of us went to college. You took what you could put in your dorm room, and that's what you had. So you didn't you didn't rent extra storage space for it. So there's I have the, kind of that issue too about self storage. Why are we putting up so much self storage? That's uh, that's where I am, and it's more an issue just with the smart code in general that I'm sure we're going to have. I hope have some in depth discussions about. I am sure we will have some in-depth discussions of the smart code, um, but bringing it back to this particular project, um, I'd entertain a motion at this point. I'm happy to do that. All right, Mr. Rexford. I move approval of text amendment TA-22-00250, chapter 21 of the City of Lawrence smart code to modify uses permitted in the T5 urban center transect zone based on the findings presented in the staff report and forward that to the city commission with a recommendation for approval. Do I have a second? Okay. Commissioner Carter, any further discussion? Seeing none, can we have the call for vote? Commissioner Ashworth? Yes. Commissioner Barotto? Yes. Commissioner Carpenter? No. Commissioner Carter? Yes. Commissioner Duvor? Yes. Commissioner Munch? Yes. Commissioner Rexroad? Yes. Commissioner Thomas? Yes. Motion passes seven to one. Thank you. All right. Now we'll return to uh, the regular order um, of the agenda with agenda item number one.
um, that's considered approving a special use permit for the temporary emergency winter shelter. Uh, the staff presenting this proposal is Catherine Week. Good evening, Commissioners. Catherine Week, Planning Office. Um, as the Chair has stated, I'm here to present uh, the first item on the agenda, which was SUP 2200300 for the emergency winter shelter, which is classified as a temporary shelter at the Lawrence Community Building, which is located at 115 West 11th Street. Uh, so the key points of this particular SUP project, uh, the proposed use, as I mentioned, is classified as a temporary shelter. That use is permitted in the GPI district where this property resides as an accessory use. It has specific standards that are outlined in section 2544 for the accessory use, which is permitted by right. There is a limitation of individuals um, at 40 individuals, which would be permitted by right in that district. This particular request exceeds um, the standards, so it does require a special use permit uh, for your consideration. There is an existing site plan uh, for the site. It, the most recent site plan was from 1996, and that is for the existing and primary use of the Lawrence Community Building. It should too that there are no changes to the building, the floor plan, or the site for this particular proposal. It's a temporary emergency um, use that would only be operating in off hours uh, of the primary use. So other action that would be required um, upon consideration of the special use permit, it does also require the approval of a resolution number 7452. Uh, that resolution was suspending the enforcement of building and certain fire codes related to this uh, particular SUP. That resolution went before the city commission on October 18th and did pass. Um, it also requires, once your recommendation is made, it also requires SUP go forward for consideration at City Commission. This particular SUP, given the timing of the winter season, is scheduled to go before the City Commission on Tuesday, November 1st. And that would be via Ordinance 9943 if um, the City Commission were to approve it. Um, that ordinance would also have to be uh, approved. So there was communication on this particular item. I believe we had uh, two or three communications, they were all attached to your packet. So there were no additional communications that came in after the packet was posted. So the summary uh, for the proposed temporary shelter, the use, as I mentioned, is temporary in nature. It would be taking place in the gym, in the large open gym space of the community building. There would also be the use of the adjoining restroom and shower uh, space uh, for any individuals that would be taking shelter at that location. The SUP also includes uh, the placement of a rented temporary storage container, and that would be placed um, outside the accessible entrance in the parking lot, but positioned in such a manner that it does not affect any traffic flow or parking spaces in the lot. And it would also be placed um, at the 10 foot required 
of fire separation uh, distance from the building. So the SUP does cover that uh, location for that temporary storage container. The hours of operation for the temporary uh, shelter would be for over the overnight hours. And those hours would be from 7 p.m. to 8 a.m. daily <coughs> during the winter season. Um, and that season is anticipated for the SUP to run from November 1st, which is next Tuesday, through March 31st or the end of March. And again, the special use um, is basically raising that number um, from the permitted by right 40 individuals to the capacity of 75 individuals. And the reason for that increase, last year there were two temporary emergency shelters. One was at this location and one was at the East Lawrence uh, Recreation Center. They're proposing just to do one location uh, this year. And so there would be an increased capacity um, and that would need to be accommodated at this location. They're not doing the East Lawrence uh, Recreation Center. Um, so for any SUP application, there are seven uh, review criteria that are analyzed for the SUP and the appropriateness of the use. Uh, those seven criteria are whether or not it complies with the applicable provisions of the Land Development Code. Staff has provided an analysis in the staff report of all the standards for the GPI district, um, the setbacks, the lot area, um, any other requirements in the land development code. There were a couple notations in the table that there are some nonconformities um, based on the when the property was originally platted and approved under previous site plans. Um, their setbacks are not the same as they were when this uh, building was first site planned and a lot area smaller than what is typically in the GPI district. Those types of nonconformities, because there are no changes at the site or the building at this time, um, are not required to be brought up to compliance. Um, if for some reason the use were to expand or future development were to occur on the site, those things would need to be reevaluated and um, brought up to code. So in this case, uh, the use does meet criteria number one in staff's opinion, um, and it can uh, meet those provisions in the land development code. The second is whether it's compatible with adjacent uses. Um, one of the standards for this classification of use, the temporary shelter, is that a management or operational plan is submitted uh, for the use. Uh, Parks and Recreation, the Housing Initiatives Division has submitted a operational and management plan, which has also been attached uh, to the report. Um, and that is designed to uh, mitigate any adverse impacts to adjacent uses. Um, um, and that, that operational plan helps to do uh, or address those potential impacts. Uh, the third criteria, whether there's a diminution of any uh, value to adjacent properties in the neighborhood or nearby properties in the neighborhood. Um, staff was not presented any evidence or found any evidence that this particular use would um, have any adverse impact on value of uh, neighboring properties. Again, this use is, is typically permitted by right. Um, so we're not adding a use in this location. We're just um, 
the applicant is proposing parameters outside the standards, which requires that SUP approval. Uh, the fourth criteria that public safety, uh, transportation and infrastructure, um, whether or not there's any additional impacts on those items. Um, this particular parcel is near the downtown, uh, at the edge of the downtown district. There's um, existing infrastructure, pedestrian ways, sidewalks and utilities um, at this location. And the use is not proposed to add any um, additional demand uh, to those infrastructure pieces. The fifth criteria, um, whether adequate assurances um, have been made that the property will be maintained um, and the use will not um, contribute to lack of maintenance on the property. Both the site plan um, and if approved an SUP are um, enforceable documents. So the property owner is ultimately responsible. In this case, the city of Lawrence is responsible for the maintenance of the property also the operational um, and management plan um, talk about general upkeep uh, based on the use and how that will be handled. Uh, the sixth criteria, whether there are any impacts to the natural environment. Again, this is a, a developed parcel um, in the urban uh, center of Lawrence. Um, and it's similar to a social service agency use. Uh, staff did not find that there would be any potential impacts to the natural environment in this location. Uh, criteria seven, that appropriate time limits be applied or whether a time limit is appropriate um, for a special use permit application. In this case, staff does feel that a time limit is appropriate um, because of the nature of the use and it being for emergency uh, sheltering purposes only. Staff did feel that it was appropriate to put a time limit um, on the SUP itself and that it should only run for the given uh, time frame that the SUP um, is stating and it would expire at the end of that. And then if in the future the community deems it's necessary for an emergency shelter at this location, it should come back before um, the boards through the same process of review um, to analyze or review any changes or alterations that may need to be made. So staff did feel it is appropriate uh, to have a specific time limit just for the duration of the emergency shelter use. And so ultimately staff did find that it, it met all criteria for um, a special use permit and is recommending approval. There are six conditions that are listed in the staff report um, and staff would recommend uh, approval with conditions as stated in the report. I would be happy to stand for any questions or provide any clarifications or if there's discussion, um, answer those at that time if you should have them. Also, we do have parks and recreation staff and housing initiative staffs here. If you have specific questions outside of the planning piece, um, they can uh, enlighten you on those pieces that they're intimately familiar with. So. Thank you, Catherine. Um, seeing as the applicant is the city of Lawrence, is there any other representative of the city that would like to speak? No? Okay, then we'll move on to public comment. Um, is there anyone in the room who would like to comment on this particular item? Seeing none, I'll turn to online. Is there anybody 
online who would wish to comment on this item. I'm not seeing anybody, am I? No, okay, then I'm gonna bring this back to the commission for discussion, please. Commissioner DeVore. So I'm, I'm really glad that our community is doing this and, um, but some questions. One question is um, what happens at uh, 8 a.m.? Uh, you know, since the permit is from 7 p.m. to 8 a.m., I just wanna know what that is gonna look like. Um, some of the neighbors are, uh, you know, wondering what happens if, if their property is, is where people are hanging out, you know, just it, has any thought been put into that? So that's one question. And another question is, uh, there was a reference to if families came to the shelter with children that they would go to an offsite location. Where is that? Those two questions. Good evening, all of you. I am Cicely. I am with Planning and Development in the Housing Initiatives Division. Um, so after, um, actually we will start getting everybody ready to move out of the shelter, I believe around seven. This is, this is new to me. Mitch has done this before. And then, um, they will leave the site by, by eight at the latest, um, probably most likely seven. Um, after that, they will disperse as as at will. Um, I know that there's places for breakfast, and I think most of them usually head that direction. So, um, also, your second question. Remind me. I'm sorry. Yeah, if there's uh, if there's families where where are the with children. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Um, so our families will be um, offsite. We're going to contract with one of the hotels in town where they will apply for housing through one of the resource providers locally here. And then we will house for uh, probably up to 72 hours just to let that process take place. Yeah, any, any thought given to the neighbors' concerns about um, last year that there were some some problems? Any Was there any thought given to, you know, how to mitigate that? Um, I don't know how they dealt with that last year. Maybe Mitch knows. Mitch, or do you have anything to add? Um, I mean, I'm more, whoever staff is will escort outside. Um, I don't know how how we will keep them. Were yeah. there issues last year, I guess? Yeah, I I guess. Mean, per, per the public comment. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Mitch, Mitch. Mitch on Parks and Recreation. Um, the, <clears throat> we weren't aware of any neighborhoods complaining last year. If, if they did, they, they weren't brought to our attention. Uh, and to get back to the original question, uh, we wake everybody up at 6 a.m. Everybody is out by 7 a.m. That gives us time to clean for the building to open. Keep in mind, all of our rec centers are year-round warming sites or cooling sites. So those individuals that uh, are using the WES will leave in the mornings. And if they choose to stick around, 
to when we open back up, they can come back in, but then they're following the rec center rules, which there's no laying down, there's no food, there's no sleeping. Um, then that, that's how we are a warming or a cooling site year round. Thank you. Commissioner Harder? Yeah, thank you. Um, I'd like to follow up on uh, uh, Commissioner Doerr's um, observation about uh, neighborhood problems. I was looking through the documentation. I mean, there's the rules, the facility rules that say loitering on neighboring private property is not allowed. And there are the warning of violation forms that say, you know, why am I being given this? And an option is you've been loitering on neighboring grounds. But in the, in the uh, contract of service, I didn't see any language that warns people don't hang out on neighbors, you know, in neighbors' private property. Um, so it, it seems to me one possibility could be clearer communication of expectations. Um, a second thing is from the from the uh, neighbor's letter, it seemed that there was some expectation that facility staff of the senior home were quote chasing people away, which just doesn't seem like a, the, the the right solution to this issue. It seems like communicating with neighbors that you know if you've got a problem with any of our residents, let us know. Because there's no way for the facility, uh, the people running the facility, to know that there's been a violation unless they've been informed. So, I mean, if if you want to close the loop on that rule, on that rule, it seems like communicating with the with the clients, communicating with the neighbors, for the neighbors then to communicate back to the facility yeah. would make that less of an issue. Agreed. Mitch Young Parks and Recreation. Uh, sorry, Mitch Young Parks and Recreation. Um, <laughs> Yeah, we, I, I, I'm unfortunately unfamiliar with the letter that you're talking about, but we did not have anybody come to us uh, last year. But I will say also, we have them sign a contract and that should have been in the operations manual. Uh, and we can add um, loitering into that contract. Uh, but once they are off city property on private property of somebody else, at that point, it becomes a private, a private property owner to, um, uh, inform police department if if necessary for trespassing, but uh, we we were unfamiliar with any instances last year with that. But we also, like I said, can add that to our our contract. It's not really a contract, but they sign when they come in. Um, and if that's not in the manual, I apologize. We can get that to you. Super, thank you. And this is Cicely Housing Initiatives. I'm more than happy to get with that that neighborhood or those individuals that had concerns and um, speak with them. We, we've done that computing that community involvement has been a huge piece of what we're working on so I'd be more than happy to do that can I jump in thank you thank you Mr Carpenter yeah I, yeah I've read through your operation plan and and heard all the concerns it seems very similar to what we heard about the drop-in center just down the street which you know just came back for a renewal their SUP with no complaints for the three years it was open. So I know all these things are manageable and, and people get in line with the rules. I, I just have one question about uh, one of the proposed conditions, which is staff is recommending a minimum of two uh, workers on site while your operation plan says you prefer three. So what's the difference between the operation plan and what's being recommended to us with the number of workers on site? 
mid chilling parks and recreation um that could have been a typo on my end what we found last year what worked best uh i will say knock on wood i feel we had a very successful year last year uh with that being said um the overnight staff is truly there sitting in the dark and the only light on is the screen of their phone so they're just there's two people sitting there is it better if you have three possible because they can also do laundry they can do other things but uh what we looked at originally was three for check-in two for overnight and three for checkout keep in mind Cicely and i will be there every morning at uh, alternating um back and forth and then we have um uh, hired staff hopefully that uh, can do the evening check-in to get all the volunteers situated and that answers it because that's also the difference in your language between preferred and required so it sounds like it's going to be fluctuating to meet the needs at the time so that's good to know and while we're on the issue of typos um, under in the management plan paragraph two under training that's available uh, sub subparagraph double I desolation training is that really de-escalation training Mitch Young Parks Recreation yes that would be correct I will get that corrected thank you for bringing that to my attention okay because I'm really encouraged to see that all that training is available because that's going to really help uh, with anything that comes up so thanks for doing this thanks for getting it organized it's, it's definite community need during the cold weather um yeah thanks um i i echo the appreciation for um getting this put together and, and great we're proud of our community for doing it i i do though have a, a number of concerns about operations um and some of that, I guess, comes from two, two perspectives. One, uh, a couple of you have said, hey, you haven't seen anything or heard anything from neighbors. I just want to point you to page 36, the last page of the of this, the uh, packet, the, the staff report, um, where the neighbor across the street articulates the concern that they had. Um, and when I think about doubling the capacity of this shelter now so we're, we're talking about it tonight because we're we're going to double the capacity almost go from 40 to 75 um, and to miss something you know like this that that is uh, a neighbor who's had an impact and maybe others have impact and aren't um, able to communicate that or don't have a path to communicate that impact um, I'd, I'd love to know um, from those of you who are operating this, what steps you can take to reach out to those that are immediately surrounding the center and make sure that we understand um, that what we're trying to do here is a very, very good thing isn't somehow unintentionally spilling over as a problem to those neighbors and that we're able to address that quickly. Um, I, you know, let me go straight into one. I, I, I'm trying to imagine a scenario at eight o'clock in the morning um, when time's up and it's wind chill of 40 below zero, which is not an uncommon thing, uncommon thing in Kansas, and the snow's coming down. Where are 75 people going to filter out, disperse into the community? Um, what, what's the plan for that? 
And, and similarly, we open the doors at 7 p.m. at night. Where do people, where do 75 people queue in that kind of weather um, right before the doors open up? I just, I just like to understand a little bit more about the, the, the operational plans that you have for this. Mitch Young, Parks and Recreation. Um, we ran into that last year. Uh, three mornings of the week, uh, Jubilee Cafe opens at 7 a.m. And that's where majority of people go. Uh, they're looking at adding an additional day. Um, and now that we're out of a lot of the COVID restrictions, back uh, individuals are going to McDonald's or they're going to Dare Center on, I believe, one day a week. I'd have to check the resource guide on that. But there are some individuals will stay and come back into the building and some individuals will, will just proceed on to businesses downtown that are open early morning um, or the library when the library opens. Those are the, those are the most of the places that a lot of the individuals go. Okay. And, and go ahead. Sorry. It is Cicely with the uh, housing initiatives. So with your question with neighborhoods, dealing with neighborhoods, I mean, like I said, I'm I'm more than happy to walk around neighborhoods and knock on doors and um, and chat with people. That that's been a huge piece of um, our community, you know, outreach. There might be an opportunity just to make a like a one-time notification. Hey, if you've got a problem, here's who you call. Um, yeah, so they feel they feel like they've got some recourse. Um, mm -hmm. You know, should should the, the become a problem for them. And yes. one part I will say, and, and Mitch and Cicely have seen this quite a bit, and we have a third member of our team, Jen, who works on, on these issues too. And they're very engaged with neighboring businesses and property owners. So, you know, here's our contact information. Here's how to reach us. If you have an issue, here's our email. So it's been something that we've kind of grown and developed in the course of standing this team up and getting the resources out there. So it's, we're evolving and we're learning as part of it, but it, I can tell you from watching them work on the different projects they've worked on, they make extraordinary efforts to reach out to everybody. And if somebody wants to have a meeting or get more information, they'll go to great lengths to do it. And I, I don't anticipate that to change with this process too. Thanks. I, I hope my questions are coming off in the spirit I mean them. I, I, I'm glad that as a community we're doing this. Um, it is a remarkable thing though to double the capacity inside of this facility. And, and I have to think that these, these these issues of where people go, how they get to where they're going, are something that if, if we can maybe think those through up front, it can it can uh, it can help improve our success. Right, just one last question, I think: um, Who is in charge of operations? Who who is in charge of operating this? It would be the Housing Initiatives Division and Planning and Development Services. So, you. Uh, me with a lot of help from some uh, friends, I guess. Yeah. Um, it's inside of your organization. Correct. It actually gives me a great deal of confidence. Correct. Housing Initiatives is, is one of the six divisions inside of Planning and Development Service. Right, that actually gives me a great deal of confidence. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. And I did have one more question. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I've got one more question. I just need to know this. Of the 75 souls that we want to provide for here, um, how does that group of people overlap with or, or, or connect with those at the community shelter? Is this an entirely separate population from that? Is there some overlap there? I will defer to Jen and, and Mitch and Cicely on that detail because I, I may not have the full scope on that. Cicely with uh, Housing Initiatives. So um, 
We don't regulate who is utilizing the shelter. Um, as far as I know, people who are staying in the Lawrence Community Shelter won't, won't stay in the winter shelter, but I can't guarantee that. Um, just because we don't we don't regulate it, we're not asking where you're coming from. Um, we're just providing that warm bed. Okay, gotcha. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Commissioner Carpenter. Follow-up question: The shelter is first come, first serve each night. Is that correct? The community shelter. The the Lawrence Community Shelter. Yes. They are a private entity, so they operate through their board. I'm not right, sure but how. I believe, but I believe nobody has a reserved bed there. They have to leave each day and come back and hope that they can get a bed again. Is that your understanding? Um, I think that they have a, a length of time which they can stay there. Um, they are a housing-focused shelter, so their primary goal is to that housing piece, which takes a little bit longer. So they they do support people for longer than a nightly basis. That's my understanding of it. I, I know they were supposed to, and then even longer term with the Monarch Village that hasn't been used. But um, in any event, what we're talking about here tonight is really overflow capacity and for people to go when the conditions are desperate. So it's not, and the right. shelter is still there. So if they can't get into one, they're gonna try to get in the other. And I know that you used the East Lawrence Rec Center last year and that just the distances didn't work very well. So that one was underutilized. So I'm glad it's being consolidated this week. Truly life-saving emergency service. Uh, yes. Mitch Young, Parks and Recreation. Um, just to clarify, we never did use East Lawrence last year. We were going to use it once we hit 75 at the community building. Our highest number was 68 last year. Oh, I thought it, okay, I misunderstood. I knew it was available, so no one actually Correct. ever did that. Okay. What happens if you get uh, 100 people that need uh, need a bed? Mitchell and Parks Recreation. That's a good question. So currently, uh, we are we're, we're we're looking at the 75. Uh, we do not know what LCS is going to do this year. We also have the new support site uh, where uh, individuals may stay there year round. So we we we're going off based off our numbers from last year, um, and that's and that's where we're going to stick with that 75. So if if we hit 75 we will have to uh, come up with a plan B. I mean, if it's a, if it's a, I mean, is it, would that plan B happen pretty quickly? Like, <laughs> meaning like, you know, it's, it's minus 40 outside, you, you know, or I'm assuming you, you, you'll, you'll be able to react pretty quickly, right? I would, yes, uh, Mitch Young, Parks and Recreation. Yes, I believe so. Okay. 
one thing to kind of keep in mind as, as part of this, it's not really connected to this, but we're kind of going in that direction, is that the code was expanded a couple of years back to allow a variety of different uses to have temporary shelters. So other entities could stand up temporary shelters that were less than, than 40 to help kind of fill that surge if there was that necessary to it. Now, that doesn't guarantee somebody will do that, but there are opportunities for, for other entities to kind of go through that and help too in that instance. Gotcha. There are churches in the downtown area that have done that. Right. Mm -hmm. Any other comments? If not, I'd like to ask for a motion, please. I'd be happy to. Mm -hmm. I move we approve a special use permit SUP 22-00300 for temporary shelter use at 115 West 11th Street and forwarding the city commission with a recommendation for approval based on the findings presented in the staff report and subject to the conditions listed in that report. I have a second, Commissioner Thomas. Thank you, any further discussion? Seeing none, call for the vote. Commissioner Ashworth? Yes. Commissioner Barotto? Yes. Commissioner Carpenter? Yes. Commissioner Carter? Yes. Commissioner Duvor? Yes. Commissioner Munch? Yes. Commissioner Rexford? Yes. Commissioner Thomas. Yes. Motion passes eight to zero. Thank you. And let me check in with the commission to see if anybody needs a break before we move on to the next item. Wouldn't mind powdering my nose. Okay. We'll take a, a short break, five minute break, before we head to item number two. All right. Um, continuing on with our evening, uh, we now have item number two to consider approving a special use permit for a wireless support structure and wireless facility antenna. Uh, staff presenting this project is Sandy Day. Good evening, Commissioner Sandy Day Planning Office. And I actually have a presentation to share with you. If you can give me just a moment to get this up on the screen. Take me just a moment. take just a second to get all of the things open correctly. <coughs> I apologize. Not wanting to open. Let me try this one more time. Yes, one. Quiet. The volume is way down. <laughs> Did my volume is down? Or ah. is it the mic? I think the mic was yeah. Okay. okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, I apologize. You good. <laughs> Just mm 
Okay, Sandy Day planning. Uh, I had a presentation for you. I don't know why it's not opening. So um, we'll just kind of go from there. I'm going to ask you to instead please refer to pages in your staff report um, to start off with. Uh, this property itself is zoned IL, which is a limited industrial zoning district. It is a district that does allow for communication towers or wireless support structures as they're referred to in the land development code. This is a new structure um, that would be added to the community overall network. And I think the last time we looked at a cell tower in the city limits was around 2015 on Moody Road. And that particular tower was completely located in an industrial area. In this particular application, the proposed tower is located on the industrial property, but is um, also adjacent to residential zoning districts to the immediate east of the subject property. The sub, or I'm sorry, the land development code requires communication towers to have a maximum height not to exceed 150 feet when they are in a non-residential zone and they can only uh, be 120 feet when they're in a residential or mixed use zoning district. This particular communication facility would be 100 feet. One of the other requirements of the land development code for a new tower is that the tower be disguised and that can be part of an architectural um, component such as a steeple or a clock tower or it can be what is proposed this evening as a um, as a monopine. Um, so this is uh, the first type of structure we've seen um, in the city of Lawrence that really meets that condition of being a disguised structure. The overall height of the structure is 100 feet. Now the, the pine um, limbs uh, would extend a little above that overall height. Part of the application included some um, photo simulations of what the property would look like and I believe those are in your packet as well. There are a number of different criteria that we look at in terms of a communication tower or wireless support structure, that being the height. Um, there's also a requirement that there be separation. Um, and that was one of the earlier images I just saw on the uh, screen there that's being shared as well as um, an exhibit that's in your packet um, that requires cell towers to be located uh, dispersed a minimum of a thousand, a thousand feet apart. And um, this particular tower will be located and capture uh, traffic along 31st Street and along the south leg of the K-10 Highway. Um, and it is quite distant from any existing uh, communication towers. One of the other requirements of this project is that there be screening at the base of the tower. Um, that screening is intended to screen the mechanical equipment that is located at the base of the tower and that includes a six foot fence as long as well as additional landscaping. There is another buffer of landscaping that was 
a requirement of the subdivision when it was constructed, that subdivision to the east includes a vegetation uh, planting strip along the rear property line that separates the residential use from the existing industrial use or the industrial zoning. Um, it had originally been a manufacturing facility. It is now Peasley Tech tech center um, and that's part of that larger campus with the career institute and boys and girls club immediately to the north with additional residential uses further to the north of that even um, staff's review of the project is that it does comply with the land development code requirements in terms of design standards and, and other components uh, for the review criteria of the of a special use permit with regard to property value, and you have several communications um, in your packets about that concern, um, the land development code does not give us any guidance on how to assess that property value. The applicant um, did provide uh, documentation that is included as a communication um, in your packet that is an assessment of property values. Um, as looked at from an appraisal standpoint and they provided some comparables uh, in there, I believe from uh, Eudora as most similar examples. And then there's also an assessment of the city's um, residential market in there. And uh, we did look at that uh, briefly in that documentation appeared to be consistent with what staff's understanding is of um, the residential market for the city of Lawrence. Uh, believe the applicant is on the line. I'm not certain, um, but I am happy, or they may be there uh, in the meeting. Um, I'm happy to answer any questions if you have any. Thank you, Sandy. I believe Patrick Irwin is here. I am. My name is Patrick Irwin. I am the applicant uh, before you this evening. Um, a few things I want to point out, as Sandy mentioned, it, it is a very unique structure that we're proposing. It is a, a, a monopine. Um, it, it is very unique. There is none in the Lawrence area. There are several uh, in Overland Park and in the Kansas City area as well. Um, the property is zoned industrial. Um, we we have partnered up with Peasley Tech. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Peasley Tech, but uh, Peasley Technical School, they offer technical skills training um, and in several different of the trades. Uh, Dr. Kevin Kelly is here this evening. He is the chief executive officer of the school. Um, he'll be addressing you after I speak. Um, the one of the, the key parts of our partnership is um, we, we will be paying Peasley Tech obviously rent that rent will provide uh, if not hundreds of residents from low income households uh, will re receive preparation in life to to gain a to make a livable wage. Um, over the life of the tower. Um, the key driver of this project is to enhance the FirstNet and the AT&T service. Both have committed to uh, occupy, to be anchor tenants on this new structure if it is approved. Um, we've seen a significant demand in this area. Um, 
service is not up to par to where it needs to be, and this will enhance that. Um, how we got here? Well, one of the big things, first things we do whenever we look for a need to put up a new wireless facility, the first thing we want to do is see if there's any additional, any, any existing structures that we can utilize. Uh, maybe it be an existing tower, maybe it's a rooftop. In our, in our direct search area, we did a thorough analysis. There is nothing that met the engineer's requirements. I mentioned earlier that one of the key drivers of this is FirstNet. Um, for those of you that may not be familiar with FirstNet, the FirstNet authority was established by Congress in 2012. It is to address public safety and communications in the event of a wide scale uh, disaster that may occur and responding agencies come in from different jurisdictions descending into one community. It arose after the events of September 11th where there was communication challenges. Um, the, the Congress enacted this to address those so there's a seamless communication between the first responders. The FirstNet system is available only to first responders. Um, but in addition to the public safety aspect, it also will provide use for regular AT&T commercial service. Um, one of the uh, key points when we make, uh, we do our golden analysis of with, for a special use permit, of course, we know we're going to weigh the, the benefits to public health and safety, which I just mentioned. And then also we're going to see if there's any diminution of neighboring property owners. We're very acute to the residents on Harper Street and how we are adjacent to the residential area. Um, we have uh, we have with us today um, Andrew Baker. He his company performed a extensive property value impact study. Um, the results of that are in front of you, and he's here to answer any questions you might have regarding his methodology on how he came up to his conclusion that there will be no impact to any of the property values around. Um, yeah, in conclusion, I, I believe that we have uh, demonstrated that we've met all the criteria in the land development code. Um, we've worked pretty closely and with with staff and gaining their recommendation for approval. Um, and I'm happy to answer any questions that you all might have. Thank you, Mr. Patrick. Thank you. Um, Mr. Irwin, sorry. Okay. Uh, um, so you mentioned that uh, Mr. Kelly might want to say a few words. Oh, there you are. Hello. <laughs> Thank you, uh, Kevin Kelly, Dwayne Peasley Technical Training Center. Um, when they, um, when I was first approached about this communications equipment going on to our campus, um, uh, I, I went to our board and we discussed it. And, uh, and upon further research, when I uh, became aware that this is in support of our first responders, we felt like as a part of this community, it was important that we help support uh, those efforts in the event of an emergency or other activities. And I verified with uh, uh, the fire department who we do a, a number of programs with that this in fact would be part of the FirstNet system. And and for us, that was an important reason uh, to, to support this. The second part of it is that um, in our discussions with our board that um, these funds would go directly to our RISE program. And RISE is Raise Income and Security Equity. 
and it helps provide uh, funding for our, our neighbors and friends from low-income households uh, to get training at no cost for livable wage jobs. And um, over the course of the life of, of this tower, it literally could have impact on hundreds of lives uh, in our city. And so um, those are the reasons why we've gone forward with this. We we actually weren't sitting around contemplating having a tower put in <laughs> on our property, uh, but but in the end, our analysis uh, was that the community benefit uh, was great enough that that we should go forward with having it. Thank you, Mr. Thank you. Kelly. Good evening. My name is Andrew Baker, and I was the appraiser um, who uh, wrote the impact study. I just want to talk very briefly about what I did and the results of the study. Um, so my name is Andrew Baker. I work at Valbridge Property Advisors in Overland Park, and I've been appraising since 2008, and I'm a licensed appraiser in Kansas. Um, so what we did to uh, figure out how this tower might impact uh, surrounding property values was a, what's called a paired sales analysis. So you look at a sale of a property that's adjacent to a cell tower, um, and then you uh, try to find nearly identical properties that, that sell uh, very close to that. And you analyze, you know, did it sell for the same amount? Was it higher? Was it lower? And um, in addition to that, we also reviewed the listing history of those sales. So how many days was it on the market? Were there multiple price cuts? Um, and then finally, I think maybe most importantly, uh, we talked to the brokers. You know, We talked to four brokers uh, as part of this report to see, because they're on the ground, um, you know, and they, they talked to potential buyers about all sorts of issues or concerns they might have about a property. And so um, in total, we looked at five sales. We looked at two sales in Eudora. Um, uh, we couldn't find any sales in Lawrence, unfortunately. I, I, I did, there weren't a lot of good uh, sites uh, that were really adjacent to, to residential properties, but we did find two in Eudora. We had a sale in Gardner, Kansas, um, and a sale in Kansas City that was next to a very large, actually the world's a fun uh, tower. Uh, if you're familiar with that, there's a very large cell tower there. And another sale in Greenwood, Missouri, which is near Lee Summit. Um, each of the sales sold uh, within 30 days. Many of them had multiple offers above listing price. In fact, I think three of them, three of the five sold above the listing price. Um, none of the four brokers we talked to, uh, there was one we couldn't get a hold of, none of the four brokers we talked to uh, reported any impact on value or that this was a concern of any uh, potential buyers and they all sold near or above their list price. Um, so with that, the details of all the sales and how we analyze them and all the comparable sales we use is in the report. But um, if you guys have any questions about the report, I'd be happy to answer. Thank you, Mr. Baker. All right, now we're uh, moved to public comment. Is there anybody in the commission room this evening who would like to comment on this particular project? Yes, please. Good evening. My name is Marty Burke. I live at 3014 Harper Street, approximately 330 feet due east of the proposed tower location. I can assure you that the value of my property is diminished to me. 
to the point where I'm exploring other opportunities of possibilities of places to live. I found the, the, uh, the appraisal report to be unconvincing. Uh, I agree there weren't good examples in, in Lawrence. The real estate market, as I'm sure you all well know, is distorted by a, a lack of supply and oftentimes by the time a property gets listed, uh, it's already under contract. I know I've been looking. <laughs> um, the thing I, I think that is most bothersome to me, and there has been communication within residents in the area. I believe some of those communications are in your packets. Hopefully you've had a t chance to review those. Um, the people that I've communicated with strongly support the mission and the operation of Peasley Tech. We, I can assure you that as an AT&T customer, I get one bar on my cell phone in my house. <laughs> it would be nice to have a little bit better cell coverage where I live. I think that the issue that that is the most troublesome is that it's my understanding that the tower has to be um, 100 feet inside the boundary of the of the parcel, um, it's 103 feet in, onto the Peasley property, if I'm not mistaken. Um, they put it as close to us as it could possibly be. And, you know, we're familiar with the area. Um, there are open spots on top of that hill. I, I understand that uh, in order to site one of these towers, you have to have somebody that's willing to lease you that land on a willing basis. But um, there are also public parcels um, that are close by. They may not have the elevation of that site, but obviously towers can be made taller to compensate for that. There was an asphalt plant that was on the south side of 31st Street when the, the K-10 work was being done that was uh, remediated and is vacant land. I don't know who the owner of that is, but um, I and people that I've communicated with, although I cannot speak directly for them, um, would request that action on this matter be deferred and that uh, we ask that the individuals involved look for properties that do not have as much impact on the surrounding homes. Um, by the way, I live 330 feet away. The people across the street are much closer. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm running over. Um, thank you, sir. I'm, I'm sorry, I, I didn't catch your last name. Burke. Mr. Burke, thank you. Yes. Would anybody else in the room like to speak to this issue? Is anybody online that would like to comment on the item before us? Yes, uh, Stephen Garlo, if I could. Start. Yes. All right. Uh, my name is uh, St Stephen Garlo. Uh, I live at 2808 Harbor Street, about two blocks from the proposed uh, tower side. I'd echo what uh, Mr. Burke has 
said about neighborhood support for Peasley Tech. Uh, it, it, it's been a great improvement on that hilltop, Peasley Tech and uh, the USD four, uh, 497 properties, the Lawrence Career College, uh, the Boys and Girls Club. Uh, and, and so I'm, I'm, I know from talking to neighbors that there's a lot of support for uh, the beneficial use of that property. Uh, however, we, we, we have identified several concerns. Uh, first being the inadequate time for us as, as uh, adversely impacted property owners, so inadequate time for us to really assess all of this information. The, uh, uh, the notices went out, but the community meeting wasn't held uh, at Peasley Tech until last Thursday. Uh, and then we had a deadline to submit comments on, on Monday. Uh, Mr. Irwin has been very good to provide additional information, but my understanding is, is there's still some outstanding information he was going to provide. Uh, one of those has to do with stormwater management. Uh, there is a history of stormwater runoff damage being caused uh, coming off that hillside. Uh, at the south end of the property, where the tower site is uh, proposed, there is, uh, you, in your packet, I'm sure you've seen the information, there's a reference to a drainage ditch. When we ask at the neighborhood meeting for more details about that, because that ditch uh, is right along that property line uh, behind several homes, uh, Mr. Irwin was not able to provide uh, much detail about the proposed stormwater management. Uh, there's uh, problems with the stormwater runoff uh, all along the east boundary line uh, of the Peasley Tech property, and it goes on to what I think is USD 497 properties. There's a uh, there's a uh, a damaged uh, stormwater inlet in the northeast corner of that property. Now, uh, uh, Mr. Kelly and, and some other folks have have done some improvements over there uh, with paving, which reduces dust but it also speeds up the runoff of stormwater. So that's a concern of, of ours. Uh, 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 Mr. Saul did some grading work over there last year and that, that has helped, uh, but we, we still got the, uh, the uh, uh, damaged stormwater inlet uh, in addition to the questions about the south end of the property. The, uh, the proposed monopine uh, Mr. Irwin didn't have a whole lot of information about the actual installation of the mono pine. Uh, my understanding is that it would be like uh, uh, any other tower like that. You're going to have to have a large hole with lots of concrete. Uh, there's limestone, uh, layers of limestone in that hillside as well as lots of glacial till and erratic. Mr. Uh, yes. 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 If you could wrap up, please. Okay. Um, I'm, sure we'll, I'm sure we'll... Yeah. I'm sure we'll have okay. questions. Mm -hmm. All right. So don't, don't know about whether there's going to be any blasting, which could damage Charles. Okay. Uh, uh, the other, uh, so I'll, I'll stop right there. Other yeah. things I've identified in the written submission. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Garland. If you'll stay online, I'm sure we'll have questions. So um, would anybody else like to speak online or in person um, from the public? Okay, seeing no further comments, I'll bring it back to the, I'll actually give it to, over to the applicant if he would like to address any of those issues. I would, um, Patrick Irwin, um, 
once again, the, the first thing that stuck into my head was what Mr. Garlow said about the, there will be no blasting involved. Um, you know, we would do typical normal excavation um, with a drilling rig um, to drill the foundations. Um, and as far as the water runoff that's been brought up, my understanding um, from our through the application process is that the city's, um, Sandy, please help me, the uh, st stormwater was evaluated by the city engineer, is that correct? Um, I don't know if that's appropriate for me to ask see to the question, um, but I believe that was part of our application that it was addressed and it was satisfactory resolved with our drawings. Um, yes, I think that'll be it. Thank you. Okay, so now I'll bring it back to the commission for discussion and questions. Who would like, Commissioner yeah, can, we, can we ask Sandy that question? Yeah. Sandy, uh, stormwater question. Sandy Day, planning mm -hmm. office. Um, yes, the project was reviewed by the city stormwater engineer and it was approved. Um, I think there was um, some, some technical information we looked for. It looks like there was a miscommunication between the city stormwater engineer and myself. Um, and that is something that I will follow up with the applicant directly. Um, just a little bit of documentation on the plan um, from the added pervious and impervious surface summary when I saw the communication from um, the neighborhood about the concern of, of stormwater, I immediately sent that off to um, municipal services and operations staff. Matt, Matt Bond, the city stormwater engineer is actually out of the office for, um, for a little bit, um, but he responded um, to that and confirmed that yes, in fact, um, the stormwater review was complete and it and it is compliant with that. The overall um, impervious service added for this project is, is really very small compared to the overall site. Um, it does sound as though um, city staff does need to go out and take a look at the drainage swell, swale and the stormwater inlet. Um, so that's that's kind of a separate thing. Um, that's that's more of a, a property maintenance kind of question um, that staff is exploring. So I don't have full information on that just yet because Matt and I have not been able to talk in detail yet about that particular component, but we'll, staff will be following up on that regardless of whether this application is approved or conditionally approved or deferred. Thank you. Yeah. Could I, uh, for the applicant, uh, could you talk us through your site selection process and sure. what caused you to choose Peasley. a specific location? Yeah, so the way the process works is the the FirstNet and the AT&T engineers, they issue what's called the search search ring, search area. And it's a, it's a map, it's usually a coordinates um, with an out, with a elevation that's needed to obtain the, the service that they require. And what we, the first thing we do is we find out who owns every single property in that search area. And then we pull up the land development code and we, look at them and say, oh, this property won't work. It does not meet setbacks. This one will, this one will, you know, we kind of go down the line throughout this. And this this map is probably uh, two tenths of a mile in diameter. 
So it's fairly small because of the uh, closeness, you know, inside, because we're close, we're in just within city limits. Um, so, and then we, at that point, we find different landowners that are interested. We send some letters. We try to find every, most of them. Um, and in this, this specific search area, we have, so Peasley is zoned limited industrial. The par there's a parcel just to the west on the other side of Haskell that is also limited industrial. And then beyond, just beyond that, it was also inside our search area, was general uh, industrial. And then to the south um, it is uh, limited industrial as well. The, the areas to the south, there is quite a bit of elevation drop over there. And one of the things that we, we look at is, yes, we could build a tower higher to make up for that elevation. However, we're going to have a conflict with meeting the setbacks required in the land development code. Um, so we, we did reach out to many of the other um, landowners over in the industrial park. Some of them are at an elevation that would be suitable. And some of them outright turned us down, said they had other plans to develop their properties for other industrial uses. Um, others just didn't respond and didn't respond to us. Albeit everything I've mentioned to you is after we also, the first thing we do, as I mentioned earlier, is we look at co-locations. So that would probably be the very first step. I went into the whole raw land looking at developing a new greenfield site. So this particular search area, was that selected because Mr. Burke's got one bar, uh, presumably others? Um, I don't is think it was- for service or is there some other factor that goes- There's into many that? factors that go into it. Um, so one of the things, so they take, the engineers take into account um, call failures, uh, both drops and the, I'm gonna use some jargon, drops and blocks. You know, when you try to make access, you try to make a call and it just doesn't go through. Very familiar with okay. things. Okay, yeah. so, so is this neighborhood. And one of the things, every time you do that, your phone registers it and they, the carriers all keep track of that. So they know when there's failures and they keep the data. And over time, they've, it, it, they show patterns and it shows that there is a, a need for a new tower in this area. So that's, that's how that decision is made. Um, it is, and I'm sure they also take into account um, customer need and customer complaints that may have, may have occurred. Um, but they actually, it's, they can pin it down to within 10 feet from where the, um, the call failure generates from. I'll ask you just two quick questions and then I'll, I'll step back. Um, one question is around um, the noise mm -hmm. um, that is on the ground or from from wherever. Yes. Talk a little bit about that. Um, actually, be specific about that if you would. And I would. That might affect neighbors. And secondly, um, about the, the pine. So I'd be interested in the design life of this pole mm -hmm. and um, how this the, the pine attributes of this are managed so that they look as I use the word good as on day one natural yeah yeah does it become a habitat um, like a natural pine wood so um, talk about that a little bit so yes I will okay 
remind me of your first question. Uh, about noise. Noise, thank you. Um, so there will be no, the only noise that would be emitted is if the generator, there will be an emergency backup generator at this location, especially since the emergency need for this location. Um, it will definitely have a generator. The generators get exercised on about a monthly basis for about 15 minutes during the day. The sound emitted would be no more than what is emitted from an air conditioner from a normal commercial facility. In addition to that, we do have the screening going around it, both the wooden fence and the um, shrubs going around it. I think that would also shield some of that noise as well, both auditorily and visually. Um, so I think, and that's the only sound that would be emitted. I mean, we have during the four, four to six weeks during the construction period phase, of course, there's gonna be noise during that time. That will all take place during normal business hours. Um, as far as the, the monopine goes, um, the, the land development code requires the tower to be disguised. Um, and this area lends itself to that in that the buffer area that Sandy referred to that is on the east that, that was required when the neighborhood on Harper Street um, the, was built, there was a, a buffer that was required as part of that. And, the, and in that buffer, there are mature pine trees albeit not the height that we are installing at, but there are pine trees in this area and there are some pine trees um, on the Peasley property as well. Um, as far as when you say like uh, habitation, you're referring to like wildlife nesting in there. I can tell you with all structures that are vertical, um, if it's, you know, I'm sure pine trees as well, or monopines as well, but I know um, with cell towers, it is a major issue with nesting, and there are a lot of uh, federal regulations regarding when work can be done on cell towers, uh, typically uh, mandated by U.S. Fish and Wildlife, that they don't want to disturb nesting seasons. So to answer your question directly, I think there would, there's a high probability that nesting would occur on this structure. But not desirable. Not desirable. All right, thank you. Can I ask a quick question? Just a, so, given that it's on a hill, mm -hmm. does it need to be a hundred feet high? Is there any? That yes, it does. And if so, that is the base. That's where we need to be. And if we were to go down lower, um, you know, further to the south, I, I believe the area that uh, Mr. Burke was referring to is owned by the, I, I did, we did look at the asphalt plant, where the asphalt plant used to be. That is owned by KDOT, um, and it would need to be, it would be, a, you know, I think the elevation difference is between 40 and 50 feet of elevation. So it'd be quite a bit taller. And once we get into those heights, we might not even be able to be able to be a, to be a monopole tower. It might have to be a self-supporting tower to get those kind of heights needed. A three-legged lattice, kind of what is on, I believe that's what's on uh, Moody that Sandy was referring to, the last tower that was built in the industrial park. Thank you. Commissioner Carter. Yeah, thank you. Um, I, I have a follow-up question about you know, site planning. Um, you know, looking at an elevation map of the site, it does seem like there are alternative locations at roughly the same elevation. There's a stand of trees directly to the uh, to the west that, you know, I mean, it's regrettable to lose trees, but it's twice as far from the residences, as well as to the north of the northwest of, of, of Peasley Tech. There are, you know, of course, it's closer to um, the College and Career Center, mm -hmm. but 
Can you talk through about why that particular site that almost predictably is going to aggravate the neighbors? Well, and so what I can tell you is we got it as close to the trees as we could. We didn't want to take out any trees. Um, there are restrictions that we have and certain times of the year, like I mentioned, we can't take trees down. So we want to avoid that. And plus it would be also, we want it to kind of blend in, not only for, we're, we're absolutely concerned about the folks on Park Harper, but we're also concerned about people going down Haskell and down 31st Street and what they see. And so they're gonna also see, you know, they're gonna, we're taking the, their visual account in as well. And I think it blends in better if there's a stand of trees versus us taking out all the trees and put one big structure in the middle. Um, there are other locations on the Peasley property that could work. Setbacks would be a challenge, especially to the West. Um, uh, Mr. Burke, um, we, had, we had a meeting, I met with Mr. Burke last week, so I've, I've already, um, I'm aware of some of his challenges or his uh, uh, questions that he had. And one of them was, what about the area to the west of Peasley where the parking lots, where the trees are? We looked at that. There is a, there is a large swell, that, a natural water runoff that goes down there. Um, I think if we did, we could, I mean, you can construct anything, of course, with enough money, but I think that would exasperate any stormwater runoff issues that it sounds like we're already having at this area. This area was already no trees level. Um, it seemed um, it, it checked all the boxes. Um, it, yeah. Thank you. And <clears throat> Mr. Thomas. And my question was along the same line that Mr. Burke mentioned. Uh, why 103 feet rather than 105 feet or 10 feet? That's the same thing yeah. that I think Mr. Carter was getting at. Um, we could, we yeah, we absolutely, we could, we could move it over. I, I think, I don't think, uh, I don't even think 20 feet would really matter that much different um, as far as the visual aspect of it goes. Um, it seems very negligible, but we would be, I mean, um, we, we have flexibility to move it over a little bit inside the compound. Um, we, we possibly could do that, um, but um, we'd, we'd like to be in that same general area so we don't have to uh, re go through the whole, uh, if we move it more than, I think 20 feet is the threshold. If we move it more than that, it would trigger all new regulatory filings and it'd be, it'd be very burdensome at this point in the game. We. We, we saw the code and we made sure that our surveyor and our design engineers meet it. Um, and and it, we have, as you can see from the documentation provided. Um, if, if the threshold needs to be 110, I, I would do that too. I'd make it 110, but um, I'm just being very honest with you. Um, I, I don't know if this is a question for, for staff or the applicant. There is a, I'm trying to just think about the height of this. There is a, some kind of tower, telecommunications tower. I'm not sure what kind it is near the nest when you're driving down or you're going um, on the bypass. How tall is that? I'm just trying to get a sense. Does anybody know? Give give me a couple minutes and I, I might just, be able to okay. get that. I'm um, just trying to get a, a comparison here. 
Um, so a standard telephone pole, just to get it, is it like about 40 feet. If I'm thinking about a wooden wooden, pole. the wooden poles that are yeah. along in that um, buffer area. Mm -hmm. Now there's about 40 feet. Okay, so your typical wooden pole. Um, and one of the, speaking of vegetation, in terms of moving it, I've, I've been on that site. Um, and there's some really nice uh, native vegetation in that little plot there. So I'm kind of sad if, if this goes forward that that vegetation would go away. But I did look, it was nice enough an area that I checked the historical aerial photography in that area. And it, it has been disturbed in the past. So I can't say it's a, a remnant or anything, but it's, it's fairly nice. Um, those woods there, um, I don't recall being anything particularly special, um, but they did slope down through those woods. Quite a bit. Um, just if you if you go just just a little bit into those woods, it sloped. Um, but if that if that were a possibility, I don't know if that would make any difference given the height. And you're oh, saying to to move it if you moved it west. Moved it to the, the west. Um, this you know I would I would have to talk with Peasley and make sure that they would be okay with that. Um, Commissioner Ashworth, are, are you referencing a power pole or is it a, a tower? It's a it's a very tall tower. Maybe it has satellite dishes on it or something. It's right in the southwest edge of the nest. And I actually saw it when I was driving there this morning when I went to go look. Yeah, I yeah. okay. Um, Stand out. <laughs> That's okay. I was just, it's, it's okay. <laughs> I was just, just wondering. Because that was a screen. Just give me one second okay. to measure. <laughs> uh, in terms of the buffer area, I just have a quick question. Um, the buffer that, is there any way uh, that the buffer yard that is there can be enhanced in any way? That's not going to take away from the tall, you know, a tall monopole, but in terms of screening from the base, I did notice when I was on site that the buffer yard is getting a little thin in places. I don't know, um, this is a question maybe for, for Sandy, in terms of how that might be enhanced if it does continue to thin with vegetation dying in that buffer yard. Sandy Day, planning office. So the buffer yard was something that was um, set aside land area that was set aside on the private property side on the residential side okay. um, and at the south end um, toward the the southern end of the cul-de-sac um, that's where you see the green space behind easily as you continue to the north there is an access drive that goes around the east side of the peasley building that comes very near to the property line so landscaping could be added trees and vegetation could be added on the peasley property south of that drive um, but there's not a lot of room on the peasley property to to add it um, where that access drive goes now mm -hmm. could uh, additional landscaping be added on the residential properties uh, perhaps um, that's also where part of that swale falls so we would want to be careful about um, the placement of vegetation as it as it goes to that swale um, the other thing i was going to mention i i couldn't 
quite find the the height of that particular tower um, that you referenced, but the one that is in front of what used to be um, the Knights of Columbus building, which is now I think Anderson Rental on 23rd Street, that structure is about 160 feet tall. And the, the one that you're referencing is 150 feet tall for the site plan. Okay, thank you. How about the one on campus? That's over 600 feet tall. Oh, the, uh, the uh, Kansas Public Radio Transmitter? Isn't that like 803 feet? It's a lot taller, but I will measure and find out real quick. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I remember mm -hmm. looking at it when mm -hmm. wind power came up and sound mm -hmm. Planning, I, I will share that the couple of towers that we have been looking at in the last several years have been in the 120 to 150 range when we're looking at communication towers. And the property that we were talking about that is owned by KDOT, um, basically on the south side of 31st Street, that is actually property that is in the county. Um, so whether or not the applicant could could have or could, or some other carrier could work with um, KDOT to place a structure there, that would that would be a fairly involved process, just getting through the, the state. Um, I don't know if that would be land acquisition. I don't know how that would that would actually work out. Sandy, what height triggers the need for a light on the top? Sandy Day planning staff, I believe FAA requires uh, lighting towers to be lit at 200 feet. Follow up question to that. Is there gonna be any vis visible light to the neighbors, whether it's the base? I know you guys have asked for a study. Do we know? We do know there will be no lights will visible. Be no. Correct. I'd like to ask either Mr. Garlow or Mr. Burke um, uh, in terms of we've heard about some s stormwater issues, um, but I'm wondering uh, just your thoughts on the aesthetic nature of the pine, um, having it be a monopine. There are many, many different kinds of models for these, please, please these types of poles. Um, and we've heard the reason for the selection of the pine. Um, but do you have any comments on the, um, the aesthetics of the pine form? <laughs> I have a, I might mention that I have a background in parks and recreation management, a degree in wildlife biology, and I am familiar with uh, flora and fauna in the state. Um, Eastern red cedar, which is, are some of the trees over there, uh, is the only native evergreen tree in, in Kansas. Everything else is, is planted. Um, I actually have seen one of these towers that it was around pine trees. <laughs> and I, you know, it's, I've looked at the pictures that were provided by the applicant and um, it, I don't think it's gonna make it much less unsightly. Um, the, the plantings that they're putting around the base will never be visible, um, you know, to the residential area. And 
I, I don't I don't know that the extra course I guess it's your code that requires that mm -hmm. but uh, it doesn't diminish the intrusiveness of the tower from my perspective I'll let Mr. Garlow address that if he wishes thank you well, before you go oh. since you do have the background <clears throat> what's the maximum height of the native trees of evergreen trees in this area well I, i'm going to go by estimate because i don't have that encyclopedia i could google it but <laughs> um, there are very old uh, eastern red cedars behind our house on the mary's lake property and i would guess them to maybe be 30 35 feet tall how tall 30, 35 feet, but these are trees that have been there for many, many decades. It's a slow growing tree. Thanks. Yeah, I've seen, I saw one of these driving through South Dakota and it just stuck out like a sore thumb in the pine forest. Because <laughs> it just didn't match anything. Yeah, I, this is Stephen Garlo. I would just uh, echo those, <laughs> those comments. The viewscape will be uh, altered uh, for as long as that tower is there. Uh, if you if you, if you like Mary's Lake, like all of us who live in that neighborhood do, and you walk over to the bridge and, and then you look back to the west, uh, you know there will be a, a large monopine just sticking up and and altering and, and marring the uh, sunset photos uh, and, you know, uh, the, the, uh, there's a lot of photography goes on around there. So that will be altered uh, with the installation of a tower like this. Thank you. Questions and concerns, more from the commissioners? We have an idea of what we're thinking about this project yet. Uh, from what I can tell, um, the major concerns were um, the sound, and it sounds like there won't be sound except once a month. Um, the light, uh, it sounds like the light, there's no light. Stormwater seems like there's an issue, but it, the issue predates this construction, and, and the city is looking into it. So from what I can tell, um, uh, the most of the concerns that there are aesthetic concerns, but the other concerns seem to be um, addressed today. So that's, that's my take. I, I would support it. Other thoughts? Go ahead. Yeah, I guess I would say that I'm not. I'm not convinced that the proposed site here uh, on this particular parcel of, of property is the least defensive means of, of doing this. But I also recognize that it um, seems to be well within code requirements. And, uh, you know, if, if we're being told that uh, in good faith that there aren't other appropriate means of doing it on this site, I, I think I would cautiously be supportive of this application. Mr. Rexford, did you? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm not ignoring or insensitive to the concern of the neighbors. Um, you know, 
those last round of comments, you know, once this once this is there, it's there and it will it will change the, the horizon. Um, looking west. Um, uh, at the same time, um, also recognize that um, this site does provide what's required for uh, this technology to be installed. It meets code. Um, uh, the developer, the applicant has done um, all the work to make sure that uh, they've met all of those code requirements. Um, and uh, thinking about the additional and probably fairly rare um, benefit of future contribution to our community through um, just the happy uh, coincidence that uh, you can support Peasley yeah. at the same time as this. I think all those things <laughs> together, while I'm, I, I am sympathetic to the neighbors, I, I do lean towards support of this. Commissioner Carter. Thank you. Um, I'm not crazy about the aesthetics of it. I think um, even code doesn't cover the fact that it's almost impossible to adequately adequately and appropriately disguise something of this height. We don't have any natural features in this part of the country that authentically resemble a hundred foot tall cell tower. Um, but I would um, agree with Commissioner Rexroad on the benefit to Peasley. I would, I don't know, you know, I would encourage the applicant to try to move the, uh, the site as far west as possible without triggering another, you know, site plan review. Uh, that would be my one request. Mm -hmm. I could just jump in on um, Commissioner Carter's comments. Looking around at the site, if Heasley, that that whole section there is the only, has been the only property um, willing to do this. I know there's severe site restrictions on the west because of the slope. And if I look at the northwest corner, which was mentioned, I mean that's actually affecting more properties. Yeah. Putting it in that that northwest corner there. <clears throat> um, so while I have to, the a hundred foot tall fake pine is certainly not wouldn't be in my realm of aesthetically pleasing landscaping um, they have done the, the due diligence of, of screening it below there's no lighting um, there's no there's relatively little noise um, it meets code so I think I might have to go with an approval on that one as well. Okay, we live, we live yeah. in an age that we are, are caught up in things that we think we have to do at least. We have to have cell phones, we have to have these towers, they're going to be someplace. I think the a benefit for Peasley, which is a wonderful addition for people that it can benefit hundreds of people over time. That is one of the things I like. I appreciate your sincerity in saying, look, we're gonna do whatever we can within the parameters that we have. And to, if you can move it 20 feet, I, I would say so be it. 
if you get out of that and you have to do another whole rigmarole, uh, well, what's that going to move it? Another five feet or 10 or whatever. Um, I think we're just caught in a situation. We're going to have towers. It is unfortunate for the people on Harper that yes, it is forever going to change their view. And uh, I, and balance, I'm going to say yes, I will vote for this tower. Um, and again, in part based upon your sincerity, the work you've done, and the good that it can do. Um, my only question is, does it have to be disguised as a tree? <laughs> Just a monopole will disappear from our viewscape faster than a fake <laughs> tree will. That's, that's going to be, we could sell tickets and say, come to Lawrence and see the tallest fake tree in the state. But, you know, it's, I know it's in the code, but do we have to have it disguised as a tree? Because <laughs> it's, that's, I think that's what I find the most yeah. objectionable about this whole thing. That and the fact that we've been making a lot of, a lot of noise about this is zoned IL when these towers are permitted in every single zoning district that we have. It's not just IL. So they could go anywhere if you have the fall distances and meet these other requirements. So there's nothing special about IL district for these. But back to my question, do we have to disguise it as a tree? <laughs> you don't even see the one on KU campus anymore. I mean, it's just there. <laughs> and the thing is huge. It, it, I, Sandy, correct me if I'm wrong here, but my understanding of the code is yes, it has to be disguised in some manner to, to meet the code. Otherwise it would require a Board of Zoning Appeals variance to, to be a non-disguised tower of some sort. How about, how about painted blue and white so it disappears <laughs> into the sky? Is that camouflage? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Planning office. Um, yes, the code specifically requires it to be disguised and it can be disguised, you know, as a tree as we've seen or as some other architectural feature. The painting of the structure of if this were a monopole and to paint it blue or white or gray so that those tones or those colors ultimately blend into um, the sky view of it um, is not uh, code compliant and that was a, an option that we talked with the applicant about because uh, the application as submitted initially was as a monopole which was not compliant with land development code design standards and would have required a variance to the Board of Zoning Appeals. And then um, the question is uh, not only process, but can they meet the tests of hardship that would be required for um, and a variance as an appeal? Oh, well, hardship thing again. Okay. Well, I, yeah, I spent some time looking this afternoon at other pictures. There's deciduous tree models. There's water tower models. There's Actors. Well, no, heavens no. <laughs> I love your idea of painting. I'd love to see them go to the BZA and see if they can pull that off. It'd probably be cheaper, too. It's not uh, an undue hardship that prevents you from yeah. properly, so it won't get through. The BZA can do anything they want to do. Yeah, they well, can make any decision that they want to make. Well, that's a whole other conversation. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, not relevant so, for tonight. No, though. no. Mm -hmm. 
So you're asking if there's any flexibility on does it have to be a pine tree? So is there any flexibility on the design of that, Mr. Irwin? And we have a flag, mm -hmm. we have a flagpole one now. But <laughs> so the the pine tree is the best alternative. And did I, Sandy, you did say that painting it does not meet the requirement, correct? It does not. Right. Okay. Okay. So I didn't think it did. Otherwise, that would have been the best alternative in this situation. Um, a flagpole structure um, is something that's been done in the past. However, technology has advanced in a way that they're not feasible at this point. The radio, the due to new technology, emerging technologies, radios are mounted at the base of the, behind the antennas, whereas they're also, they used to be on the ground. Now they're mounted up top and they cannot get the radios to fit inside the poles now. And so that's the reason why that that wouldn't work. Um, and that's why the pine, that's why we're at the pine tree is our best alternative here. Okay. Thank you. Yes, Mr. Car Commissioner Carter. Thanks. Um, I guess my returning to my to the conversation about um, moving, relocating mm -hmm. uh, as far west as possible. I guess my question to first of all is that something you would find amenable? I do. I would. Okay. Second question for staff is: Would in order to get that? in writing, would we need to make that a condition or is that just something we would make as a request to the applicant? Sandy Day planning office, um, you could do that either either way. You can leave it um, flexible uh, for the applicant to try to do that or if you'd like to make it um, a more um, substantial requirement, then I would encourage you to add it as a condition of approval. Would you that, that condition then could be subject to the review by staff. I mean, feasibility is going to come into play there. So if we just say you must move at 20 feet, that's kind of an unreasonable condition. Yeah. So we have to leave some review process. Which is move it as far west as feasible yeah. within the current application. Yeah. Uh, Here to make a motion with that I, condition? Uh, Okay, I will try. Um, let's see. Um, let's see. I make a motion to recommend approval of a special use permit for a wireless support structure and wireless facility uh, at 2920 Haskell Avenue and forwarding the request to the city commission with a recommendation of approval subject to the single condition outlined in the staff report as well as the additional con uh, condition that the tower be relocated as far west as feasible within the uh, limits of the existing application. Jeff and Sandy, is that reasonable language? Yes. Okay, great. Second. Any further discussion? First and second. I guess we'll have a call of the vote then. Commissioner Ashworth? Yes. Commissioner Baroto? Yes. Commissioner Carpenter? Yes. Commissioner Carter? Yes. Commissioner Duvor? Yes. Commissioner Munch? Yes. Commissioner Rexrod? Yes. Commissioner Thomas? Yes. Motion passes eight to zero. 
Thank you all. And um, thank you, Mr. Burke, Mr. Garlow. Yeah. Thank you, Mr. Irwin, Mr. Kelly. Thank you for all coming out this evening. Okay, um, um, item three, we've already dealt with um, this earlier this evening. So we are on to item number four, which is uh, to consider approving a tax amendment um, to the land development code um, as it relates to accessory bar use. The staff planner for this item is Kyle Coping. Uh, good evening, commissioners. Uh, Ellie Mullins, Planning and Development. Um, I will be uh, presenting this, but Kyle is also there. Um, so the item before you tonight is an amendment to Articles 5 and 17 of the Land Development Code, expanding the definition of accessory bar to add two additional principal uses, fast order food and hotel motel extended stay. Uh, the Planning Commission initiated a text amendment on July 27th to clarify the principal uses permitted to have an accessory bar as an accessory use. The intent is to help apply the code consistently by bringing clarity and conformity to the definition. Uh, so in 2021, a previous text amendment, TA 21-00094, uh, added multiple additional uses beyond eating and drinking establishments to the list of principal uses permitting an accessory bar. These included indoor participant sports and recreation, personal, personal convenience services, personal improvement services, and multiple use uh, retail use categories. Uh, fast order food and hotel motel extended stay uh, were two other um, identified common uses seen with accessory bars that were overlooked in the original amendment. Additionally, uh, the code references alcohol sales and accessory bars related to these two uses, but doesn't include them in its um, principal uses permitted to have uh, an accessory bar. Uh, beyond the addition of two principal uses, other minor text changes are proposed to clarify or correct language relating to accessory bars in Article 5. Uh, the use regulations for accessory bars still solely um, talk about eating and drinking establishments when the definition was expanded to include uses beyond these last year. Uh, this has been updated kind of to a more general principal use. Um, detail proposed code language was included in your agenda packet. While the proposed amendment is mainly to correct these errors, clarify process and accommodate existing conditions in our community. It also provides opportunities for businesses to diversify their offerings uh, to remain competitive in a changing economy. Uh, as well, multiple goals in Plan 2040 are furthered by the addition of the principal uses to the definition. Um, you can find a full list in your agenda packet, but they are generally related to the ability to diversify and adapt to the economy. Um, these changes to the code meet the criteria of correcting an error or inconsistency in the development code, meeting the challenge of a changing condition and establishing consistency with the comprehensive plan and stated purpose of the code. Uh, staff recommends the planning, condition, the planning commission forward the proposed amendment um, to the Lawrence City Commission with a recommendation for approval. I can take any questions. Thank you, Ellie. Um, so at this point, um, 
we don't have any applicant to comment um, on this because it's uh, a change in the code presented by staff. Any public comment on this item? Any public comment in the room? Seeing none, any public comment online? Seeing none, I'll bring it back to the commission for discussion, questions. Commissioner DeVore. What is an example of a fast order food? Like what? Um, the example that we've kind of brought up the most is like Chipotle. Um, so there can be sit down service or not service, but there can be like an area to sit down, but it's mainly like um, a place you go in, uh, get your food, can eat it there or take it. Um, a little bit different that there isn't kind of that, um, you know, like a wait waitress uh, waiting on you or something like that. I see. I think it's also important to note that there's a differential in the code between fast order food and fast order food with a drive-through. And so there is a differential in the way that that reacts and behaves that sometimes pops up in our use tables. Just wanted to highlight that. Thank you. This fast order food with drive-in would not be included in this, correct? It would can't. not. All right, gotcha. So, so with this, if you, you could get beer at Chipotle, for example, mm -hmm. Yeah, be, that's kind of the intent. We've seen a lot of changes in the state laws and the way that the businesses are operating. So it kind of matches with what we're seeing. That was the intent when we did the first amendment to kind of mesh that all together, but we just didn't get all the, the loose ends tied up. Gotcha. How do you prevent someone from walking out of the bottle of beer? You know what I mean? Like. Uh, there's uh, state laws that do uh, prohibit that, um, and I will tell you from seeing people <laughs> having gone that route is the staff usually gets very quickly to jump in and intercede in those instances. Um, but if, if you do see instances like sidewalk dining and some of those other things, there are allowances to allow that to occur too. So there's some kind of give and take in those realms. Gotcha. Other questions? Concerns. This is mostly is there a, a reason not to item. do this. Mostly a cleanup item. Yeah. Um, that's okay. okay. Can I have a motion then? Uh, could I just ask a question? Are we making motions separately for each of these two items, item four and item five? Oh yes, they are different. Okay. Yes. Um, Commissioner Carter, I'm, I'm, could you clarify that question? I'm not sure I follow. Unless I'm looking at. Give me one moment. Oh, I think, yeah, I was looking at item. Never mind. This is obvious. I, I answered my own question. I'd be happy to make a motion. Um, I move uh, that we forward the proposed amendment to the uh, uh, to the City of Lawrence Code, Chapter Twenty, Article Five, Use regula Regulations, and Chapter Twenty. Article 17, definitions regarding principal uses that permit an accessory bar use to the Lawrence City Commission with a recommendation for approval. I have a second. Second. Retro, thank you. Any further discussion? Seeing none, you can have a call vote, please. Commissioner Ashworth? Yes. Commissioner Barotto? Yes. Commissioner Carpenter? Yes. Commissioner Carter? Yes. Commissioner Duvor? Yes. Commissioner Munch? Yes. Commissioner Rexroad? Yes. Commissioner Thomas? Yes. Motion passes eight to zero. 
All right, thank you. Uh, on to item number five, our last item this evening, uh, to consider approving a text amendment to chapter 20 of the, development of the Lawrence Land Development Code pertaining to eating and drinking establishments. Kyle Kobe is our planner for this item. Thank you very much. I'm Kyle Kobe with planning. Um, text amendment before you tonight pertains to section 20-509 of the Land Development Code. Um, uh, which are the standards pertaining to eating and drinking establishments. More particularly, the code section proposed for modifications is section 20-5095, standards that apply in the CD district. The recommended changes before you tonight differ somewhat from those proposed by the applicant. Um, the reason for that has to do with the particulars of the existing alcohol regulations within the CD district. The changes initially proposed by the applicant pertain to section 20-5092, accessory bar standards. Um, as you've seen in the staff report, there were several reasons why staff is recommending the changes uh, to the CD district standards rather than the accessory bar standards. The primary intent of the change is to address the central issue at hand for the applicant. Um, the application was submitted by a business located in downtown Lawrence. So if a change were made to the accessory bar standards, it would still leave the CD district regulation restrictions in place and would not address the, the true intent of the applicant. Um, the reason for all this is that the CD district standards regulate license premise uses uh, rather than, or license premises rather than specific uses. Um, in other words, the CD district standards regulate the sale of alcohol in general, regardless of the use um, at hand at any given location. Um, the standard in question is the existing section 20-5095I. It states, the licensed premises use in CD shall be required to derive from the sales of alcoholic beverages, not more than 45% of its total gross sales receipts during the calendar year. In other words, unless the business is one of the existing grandfathered locations, any establishment wishing to sell alcohol may not do so if those sales exceed 45% of its total sales. So in order for the text amendment to address the intent of the applicant's request, the change to this standard would be necessary. Uh, the accessory bar standards state that if at any time the sale of alcoholic beverages exceeds 55%, then the bar will be deemed the principal use. The applicant's initial request was to allow for a modification of this standard to allow a, re a reduction from 55% sales to 10% sales. In other words, to allow for an accessory bar to constitute 90% of the total sales. So when converting this request over to the CD district standards, um, since the existing standards state not more than 45% of total sales may be from alcohol, that number was flipped from 10% to 90%. Um, several conditions are recommended if such a reduction of the standards were to take place. The primary condition is the requirement for re requests of this type to be made via a special use permit. Special use permits require public notice as well as hearings at both the Planning Commission and City Commission. This route would ensure that a transparent public process took place, would bring in the same criteria for review as any other special use permit, and allow for additional conditions or restrictions to be applied to any given use. The second condition is that the gross floor area of the use is less than 3,000 square feet. This is intended to ensure that large-scale bars or nightclubs would not be able to seek a reduction to the alcohol sales standards. Um, other restrictions recommended at this time are that the businesses that the business attains, obtains, and maintains a valid liquor license, as well as any other restrictions placed upon the special use permit um, during that review and approval process. Staff is recommending approval of the text amendment for the reasons outlined in your staff report. 
Um, given that the proposed changes would still retain the existing standards by default, um, they would only apply to smaller scale uses and require a special use permit application. Staff feels that approval of this change would allow for a way for businesses to seek approval of a modification to these standards in specific instances without fundamentally reworking the standards overall and in such a way as not to significantly impact the existing character of downtown Lawrence. Um, so that's the conclusion of my presentation. I'm certainly able to help answer any questions. I believe the applicant is present in the room. Yes. So. You have a, are you, if you could state your name, one of the two. My name is Dante Colombo. Um, and and I, I want to start by, by thanking you all for your time, of course, and, and uh, I'll, I'll get into that even more. Um, Yes, uh, yeah, my name is Dante Colombo and I am the managing partner of the applicant in question, uh, John Brown's Underground, which is just, just a few blocks away. Um, with, uh, with the full understanding that this is at its core a question of policy, I, I did want to real quick say a few words about the why of this proposal and, and, and what it means to, to myself and my colleagues and, and our peers downtown and, and elsewhere in, in, in our general area. Um, and, and first and foremost, I do want to recognize that the only reason that I'm able to be here tonight and, and speak to you all about this is because of the thought and care and and very very hard work that Kyle and planning staff and 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 um, his colleagues in the planning department and and yourselves have put toward bringing this uh, proposal to this point. I truly cannot possibly express my gratitude for for like your time and, and your consideration in that. Um, in the time since Section twenty five hundred nine was originally passed, um, municipal, municipalities across the country have have uh, of course seen a rise in small, experienced, focused drinking establishments like ourselves and, and like Bourgeois Pig, Henry's Upstairs, other, others in town um, that, that exist under grandfathered and, and not um, grandfathered licenses. Um, we are extremely proud at John Brown's Underground specifically to, to have represented Lawrence in multiple national publications and like our peers locally and regionally to have created something of a destination we believe um, for folks across the country who share our interests in cocktails and spirits with integrity or simply just having a good time with friends and family um, in, a, in a, a setting much different than a sports bar or a nightclub or, or a college bar that, that exists often like throughout Lawrence. Um, in submitting this proposal, we hope that we and others who, who would qualify might have the, the opportunity to continue doing what we do best in the city that we love, in, in the downtown district that we love so much. We feel that this variance would update and strengthen the intent of Section 2509 while allowing establishments like ours to continue doing what they do best, which is contribute positively, we believe, to the attraction and the integrity of a night out in downtown Lawrence. Again, thank you all very much for your time and consideration. I'm, of course, happy to answer any questions and, and provide more context or, or um, yeah, all those good things. So, and again, thank you all so much. Really appreciate your time. Thank you. Well, let's open this up for uh, public comment. I don't see anybody else in the room um, to make public comment. Is there anybody online that wishes to make comment? Have a comment for this item. All right, seeing none, I'll bring it back to the commission for discussion then. Commissioner Carter. Thanks. That's fine. Thank you. Um, I, I have a question for staff. It's no, not so much for the applicant. I understand the applicant's specific interest in his establishment. Um, but I, I'm curious, uh, you know, CD district that's downtown. I'm curious um, if there is a distinguishing characteristic that makes us want to apply this exclusively to eating and drinking establishments downtown and not elsewhere in the city. 
It really revolves around the limitation on alcohol sales that's embedded in the land development code that only applies to the CD district. So there are similar conditional zoning elements that are in the city for other locations, probably most notably is 8th and Penn that has this applied via conditional zoning, but it, it would only be because of the downtown's restriction that is embedded in the land development code. Thank you. Commissioner Thomas, you I don't see it in front of me now. I was incredibly impressed by the letter and the explanation. I've never been to the place, but I, I thought you made such a quality argument for changing this that it, it was hard for me to think anything other than, wow, that seems like such a reasonable request and just the genuineness of, of the writing. So unless there, and there could be many things that I miss, uh, I, I thought it was a, a terrific presentation that you did. Don't want to overlook Commissioner Munch there. Sorry if I if I do occasionally miss you. Um, just yell out as you've been doing. A question um, for uh, I'm not sure who to ask. I, does the police department have an opinion on this? No. The the I wonder. Is there which department? The police department. Uh, Kyle can correct me if I'm wrong here. I don't believe they've weighed in on this particular amendment since it's really a, a licensing function of the city clerk's office. That's who we've worked mostly with on that one. Any of the laws that the police would be enforcing would not be be modified or adjusted as, as part of this. And some of the concern, I asked that, some of the concern that you'll hear when you say this is that it uh, it could it could open the door to uh, uh, a change in the nature of downtown. It's oftentimes referenced to Aggieville. Um, a change in the nature of downtown. So I, so one of the things that jumps to my mind is, well, the, the people who would be responsible for maintaining that, do they have an opinion? Um, but I, I also would like to ask you, Dante, um, how, how you would answer um, those concerns, the yeah. people who think, like, I love Mass. I don't want to live in Aggieville. Absolutely, yeah. Um, so a, a few things on, on that front. Um, insofar as the, the concerns that police might have or, or the police department might have. Um, part of the, the original application that we submitted um, for, for this uh, purpose included um, a, a covenant that, that um, would require the, the, like any, any applicant to, for, for this proposal to be able to demonstrate that they were not contributing negatively to the environment of downtown Lawrence. And so we, we had like, um, uh, Sort of, sort of like qualify that with um, without need like um, it, can the applicant demonstrate that they have not um, been been like uh, part of any MIP violations or have had any any other like police related complaints or arrests or um, it, like um, um, inappropriate serving of alcohol and that, and that was part of the the like in, initial sort of like set of requirements that we listed um, those those, those were, were were revised and, and and Kyle gave some really good reasons for for like. For, for not including those in, in what what you're reading tonight, um, but um, but I, I certainly share those concerns as well, and, and I think that's the biggest part of all this is that we <clears throat> we, we do truly and strongly believe in, in like the what the original code was intended to do, which was to keep mass from becoming and you know a, a, a free for all more or less, um, and, and so we certainly don't want that. But but like 
at the time the law was written, again, we there, there just was not an understanding nationally even of, of this kind of place. It didn't exist yet, right? So like this, this is just to, you know, kind of allow for it to exist in downtown Lawrence and to like, you know, with, with very specific and, and, you know, careful covenants have, have like, you know, that be a possibility more or less. But, but I, I certainly share those concerns as well. And I would say that, you know, it's, it's funny that we, we, we find that by and large, the, the, um, the places that oftentimes are issues with regard to policing and with regard to those violations that I mentioned before are either grandfathered in or not a part of the, the CD district in general. Um, and in fact, it, in, by, by like, you know, sort of accident, the, the only, the, the majority of the, of the folks that end up, you know, kind of having to, to like, you know, it, not be a victim of the law, but for lack of a better word, victim of the law, um, are, are places that wouldn't, that, that are not doing those kinds of things or that are not creating that kind of environment. And that's not to like speak ill on anybody, of course, but, but, um, I, I think it's worth, it's worth noting that, that it does seem to disproportionately affect those kind of like these kind of smaller bars. And that's kind of why the, again, the, the square footage requirement was, was included in there. Um, we, we, you know, believe that if you're under 3000 square feet, it's far less likely that you can become a, 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 a continual source of public nuisance in, in many ways. So at least, at least as, as far as we can measure. Yeah. Thank you for that very yeah, much. Thank you. One go ahead. I, I remember one of the people that came and applied for the Tin building down here. I forget what they the called it. Yep. The Quonset. And uh, the guy who came and spoke made an impact on me. He said, you know, there are lots of ways to fudge this alcohol thing. Let's see. We're taking the limes and charging those differently. And we're taking the napkins. And, we're and he said, there are many, many ways to do it. And he said, they didn't want to do it. And... Uh, the struggle that you went through with trying to get food and who would provide the food and the kitchen, because um, it, it has to be done on an individual basis, people that apply for this. This is not a blanket for everybody. It has to be. And I think for us to sit and look at individuals like you and the establishment, I think gives us a lot of, of leeway on, at least for me, on approving this and at least believing that you were being honest in your presentation. I'm going to push back a little bit just for the yeah. sake of argument um, here. Uh, so certainly uh, moving uh, this particular modification and placing it in the regulations applying to the CD district makes sense. Um, as staff has recommended. Um, but I guess what I'm wondering is that so the change so that li that limits it to 3,000 feet so as to maintain the character um, of downtown. I'm thinking down the line um, that just thinking about the smaller businesses, retail outlets that are in downtown that are less than 3,000 square feet, what is the chance of those turning over? you know, to become a series of small bars along Massachusetts Street in the downtown area. Um, just because that might, this one place might not change the character of downtown right now, as it stands now, given what's there. But if this becomes an incentive to replace mm -hmm. smaller retail outlets that are struggling, that's, that's my concern. 
Sure, that's that's exactly what the argument, the line of argument was of downtown Lawrence, which results in this initial regulation. The fear that retail would turn into bars up and down Massachusetts. And what really surprises me is there's zero input here from downtown Lawrence. There's nothing. <laughs> There's nothing from the chamber. And when this was discussed at the first time, it was the city commission meeting for that was pretty lively <laughs> with, with individuals from all those organizations. And here we are now with no public input, period. So I have to wonder what's going on. Have we changed so much? Have we given up on downtown? Or have we just decided we can just. <clears throat> We're put letting bars go into retail up and down the street. I mean, they can have little accessory bars. We have one of those for some bar bike shop and and others. And now, you know, smaller bars that don't have to meet these requirements. And I, I know that the city commission is expressed. You know, maybe we should revisit and get rid of these regulations too. But where's the public input? One way or the other, I just don't understand that. Because this is, has been such a hot topic, and it's put places out of business in the past. Brown Bear Brewery came into town and couldn't meet the food requirements and had to leave. I mean, we've had lots of businesses that have not made it because of this, yeah. but now nobody. To answer your point specifically, you know, the question about the 3,000 foot and what's to stop the transformation of smaller business. I think about that too. I think some of that is probably going to happen. Um, I mean, don't have a crystal ball, but logic suggests that it will to a degree. The thing that gives me a little bit of comfort, I'm, I'm not saying I'm all the way there, but the thing that gives me a little bit of comfort is that we've got to, not only do we have the, the normal rules associated with uh, governance oversight of a place that serves alcohol, which aren't, aren't nothing, but on top of that, now we've got a process with a, uh, a uh, revocable SUP, mm -hmm. right? So if, if, if we don't meet the conditions of, of, the, of the SUP, they, they lose that ability and all of a sudden they snap back to the default 45%. Um, and the 3,000 foot item, I struggled with a little bit in the beginning and I started to think about, well, what the, the protections that provides us from there being gigantic chunks of Mass Street turning into, I don't want to name any names, but there are some grandfathered properties that are fairly substantial that serve large, large numbers of people um, every weekend. This just enables a different kind of experience. I'm not trying to talk you into it. This just this no, scares no, no. as I, was, yeah. I, as I mm -hmm. thought it no. through. And then I married that mm -hmm. with the idea of, of I'm old enough to remember liquor by the drink and the games that you would play with club memberships and 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 everything how, how you got to that drink anyway but when that went away what that enabled in terms of the experience that we all now enjoy downtown where you can go to a restaurant and have a glass of wine and um, it didn't bring debauchery mm -hmm. like a, mm -hmm. like some had feared mm -hmm. that it would but it really kind of elevated mm -hmm. experience anyway but I wonder what would those criteria be in terms of if we look at these individually with an SUP each time, I mean, we don't have any idea what those criteria will be. I and mean, why would we give this particular 
Ninety percent. The other one not. Yeah, and the yeah. other one not. Yeah. What is it? A difference in floor plans? A difference in location? We have no idea. Do you think so. we can let the applicant weigh in on why he is unique? His is. Would that be? Could you tell us why you would stand out differently than some, you know, another bar? Yeah, so it's like, well, why we would stand out differently than, than say, like, you know, uh, another bar that might be under that square footage. But, but, yeah, um, I mean, I, I, I guess like the it's it's a thing that's really kind of hard to quantify, and and that makes it like kind of like a, a difficult policy discussion. Is is like, you know, we all certainly understand, and and kind of are kind of like, you know. Kind of going through the minutia of in, in different ways, um, but the the I think the, the experience focused kind of part of what we do is is um, is something that that uh, you see throughout the country, right? Like in, in in larger cities, there there are you know cocktail bars like 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 what we do, um, and and they they do truly do add something I, I believe very cool. Even if even if you're you know not not so much into cocktails or or, or spirits or, or any of that. Um, it does provide a different type of experience and a different type of possibility for, especially like, you know, folks who are older than say college age to, to like enjoy a night out with friends or, or, or what have you. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't know how to quantify that. I, I would suspect that I, I don't totally understand, you know, the, the full, you know, process for, for what the specialty sperm might look like, of course, but, but, um, you know, I, I, I would have to think that there might be some way to, to, you know, differentiate that beyond just the, the square footage. Um, you know, we've, we've talked about different things like, you know, like is, is, you know, and, and none, none of these like made much sense to, to us, but like, you know, average drink price is not so much a good idea, of course. Um, uh, like a, a limit on capacity, but, but that kind of, you know, isn't so much different from the, the square footage question in the first place. Um, hours of operation and, and, uh, and all of that, but, but again, like kind of goes back to, you know, what, what kind of crowd are you serving and how do you measure that if, if that's something that you want to get into and I, I don't know many policies in, in the country that kind of delve into that side of things but uh again like the you know has this has this establishment you know been in trouble with with serving underage underage folks before like is, is like one one like element of that that, that could be you know a possibility um but uh but yeah i um you know it we we'd also in, in the original um, proposal that we submitted, and, and again, like, like this was this was you know, amended, and I think I think for the best. But um, we had included, you know, had been open for five years or more um, prior to like being able to apply for this in the first place. That of course, you know, limits the the possible you know uh, applicant pool down to I think like just us and one other place that, that I'm aware of um, uh, at this point in time. So the last thing that we wanted we wanted ever to do is to you know waste waste all your time with like this long process that would just be like the john brown like law that's not that was not our intention at all and i, I think that the like the widening of it um makes a lot of sense that that, that, that kyle and, and and his team have done but uh i i, I, don't, I don't totally know how, how like to quantify that um i mean beyond like like you know when you see it i guess but but uh but like yeah it's it's a it's a tough question for sure hey. If, if I can oh, yes. kind of just maybe hopefully kind of get, I think where we're, we're trying to go to, the key to keep in mind is, is all in the purpose statement of a special use permit. It is a discretionary permit that allows you to look at the use's operating characteristics and as part of that review, see if it has a severe or a significant adverse impact on the surrounding uses or the community at large. 
So it does kind of lend itself to be that tool where you may see it appropriate in one instance and given the context and the operational, it may be appropriate. You may not find that similarly in the second context if it does arise in the issue. So it gives you that ability to review the use, the context and its operations in whole before recommending that up to the commission. And the key with that is all, it is a discretionary permit. It is in that purview and discretion. Uh, maybe I hope that maybe helps clarify the question. Mr. Carter. Um, I think Jeff said more eloquently uh, something I was going to say, which is, first of all, it's discretionary. It's not, it's not by right. Um, second of all, I mean, I mean it's possible that um, commissions in the future will grant um, these SUPs to some degree that will become regrettable to someone who follows them. I mean, the downtown is always, is always evolving. And to address Commissioner Carpenter's question, have we given up on downtown or has downtown Lawrence given up on, on this principle? I would say, you know, the changes that have, that have been taking place in retail over the past 10 years or so, and we've heard a lot of talk of, you know, in order for downtown to survive, we've got, it's got to focus more on experience than product or more on experience than it has and less on product than it has. No one goes to downtown Lawrence for a bargain, uh, usually except for the sidewalk sale. They go there to experience it. They go there to, you know, take part in, in the atmosphere. And, and, and uh, um, it seems to me this is a very reasonable proposal um, to respond to those changing conditions. And uh, I, I intend to support it. Um, if I may, um, do you, uh, I guess I, I still go back to the original intent of um, the alcohol ratio, if that's what it's called, 45 to 55. And there was a specific reason for doing that is to maintain the character of downtown. Um, and uh, I guess I just see this as a potential um, risk in that that proposal was so that there would be mixed use activity um, in the core of the city. Um, and I, I'm not sure that this helps that, making it a, a, multi, a mixed use area. If there's a potential for this overturning this of uh, retail businesses into more bar-like atmosphere. And I know we've, we've, we do have some flexibility given um, as Commissioner Carpenter recommended or, or mentioned that we did alter that 40, the, the types of sales that could be included in that 4555. So we've been flexible, the city's been flexible um, with uh, alcohol serving establishments. Um, so I guess I'm just not sold yet on, um, I understand the special use permit um, and that it can be individualized, you know, as each one comes up, the plant, the sitting planning commission can decide whether there's too many already, there's not enough, what kind of individual unique experiences there are. Um, but it just, to me, flies in the face of what they were intending to do with that, um, with the alcohol ratio um, as initially proposed. And I'm wondering if this kind of discussion might be better um, as we go forward revising land development code. I didn't hear the last part. Th that if maybe this kind of discussion should happen on in a larger venue in terms of the land development code update. I mean, there is nobody here to talk about this. 
Lawrence, uh, downtown Lawrence isn't here. I mean, I think this should have a wider discussion again about what downtown should be. Like we have a master plan coming up and it just seems to me like this is a significant change. Lawrence may have spoken. Maybe. Uh, Commissioner Montana. Oh, Commissioner Munch, yes. I was nodding my head, but I, I do have a question because I, I, I am trying to conceptualize what 3,000 square feet looks like in a, a drinking establishment. So I, I guess question from Mr. Colombo, what's the square footage for, for John Brown currently? Yes, um, we are we are at, I believe, uh, I should know this exactly, but um, I believe that we are at 2,400 square feet um, or thereabouts. Got it. So, yeah. It, it, and was there any magic to the 3,000 figure or was that just a, a nice round number that was above what you have? <laughs> um, I, uh, I, the, the uh, in general, the, um, the 3,000 square foot um, number was was kind of based on the like the the general square footage uh, as we like kind of like found in other establishments around around downtown that that you know either fit the criteria that we were trying to avoid running into or that would you know on the the inverse of that be what we believe to be like just in general an appropriate size for for this as a potential rule um and, uh, and, and, and so like, it really like comes down to can, could, could the space be in theory, a nightclub or could it be, um, you know, could it become a, a, a massive open cavernous for lack of a better word, dance floor situation, um, that would harken to the kind of like places that, that the law was intended to keep out in the first place, or at least to, to control in the first place. Um, and we found that 3000 square feet was like a general, um, uh, you know, uh, good uh, like rule of thumb for like when that became even a little bit of a concern. Sure, I, because I, I I assume that in analyzing different sites, you can potentially see different bands of drinking establishments, uh, different tiers throughout the community. That there are some that are more of your peers, and then there's a step up from that that's maybe of a different character, and then. Yeah. on on beyond from that um appreciate the input there i i guess i appreciate the the general concerns about um not wanting to to change the character of uh downtown lawrence and and disrupts the the great character and culture that has developed there over the years but i'm inclined to support this application and and um I guess put our trust and faith in future planning commissions that they would use their discretion and good judgment to determine if if this was always appropriate to allow a new business to uh, exercise, you know, it's um, you know have a, a different kind of establishment as a result of this. Thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to double check on the square footage number because I, I should know that, but it's been a, a long time. <laughs> okay, before, right. That's helpful. Wait, oh, miss, before you leave, let me ask about your your liquor permit. I mean, you have to basically turn in a square foot, identify what every square foot in your business is used for before you can get your license. Yes. So when you meet all the requirements, of the state to get your liquor license, how much room is actually left out of that, what did you say, 20, 
four hundred. I think yeah, yeah. It, how many? It, how many? How much space is, is left for you to serve customers out of a space that size? How many is it, the square footage that's left after? After you meet the requirements for you know the restrooms and the mm -hmm. cleanup area and everything gotcha. else that you have to meet to get yeah. your liquor license. Great question. Okay. Um. Yeah. Our 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 official capacity per the fire department is eighty one inside. Um, and, and we do have a parklet now, which, which um, has, has been really wonderful for us. Um, I have health insurance now because of our parklet, which is great. Um, but, uh, but 81 inside and, and 40 outside is our, is our current, current um, kind of like occupational limit. Um, and, and on top of that, actually, this brings up a good point that I should have thought about earlier with, um, with regard to like how, you, how can you like differentiate places kind of, kind of like, you know, based on something very concrete. Um, we are not a bar and have never been a bar in the six years that I've, that I've been there um, that has allowed standing room uh, as part of its operation. Mm -hmm. um, we, we, we are, it, it is seated only, it is seated table service only. Um, and so that, that is like a, at the core, the very core of what we do, we, we treat it, you know, very much like a, a restaurant experience would in the sense that you are, you are given a, a menu and, and, and there, there's a server, there is all table service. There's no, there's no ordering from the bar. Um, it's very much a, a, like a, you know, very like from in, in, in as much as a, a, um, uh, alcohol centered environment can be a controlled environment in that sense. Um, so yeah, 81 and, and butts and seats. <laughs> Thanks. That kind of gives an idea of, yeah. of how many people could be served in anything, any one side. And again, that, that is the, the, the fire department capacity. So like we, we, right. we don't seat 81 inside. Typically the number is oftentimes closer to 60. Thank you. Um, I think everything you said is accurate. I can't argue a single bit of it. Um, and I, the concerns that you have, I think we need to address right. I think um, the risks that are there are right. I think the public process is important. And to, to each one of those things, though, I feel like we've we've had some measure of, of, of work towards that. So public process is an example. This, this came out of city commission through public process with the applicant himself. Um, it'll go back through the city commission for another round of that. So I feel like the public downtown, all those vested players who want to be there are gonna have an opportunity. So I rest a little bit easier on that. Dealing with this inside of the code update, yes, 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 yes. But between now and then, um, there's a path that we have, I think, that, that can help enable um, something that that is a benefit to to Lawrence. And, and one of the reasons I, I, I'm inclined to support this is that um, I, I do want Mass to continue, Mass Street to continue, that whole commercial district to continue to evolve. But as uh, Mr. Car or Carter pointed out, the, the nature of retail, um, the nature of commerce uh, has changed. Um, and I think that, that by supporting this um, application, by supporting this change, we can enable unique environments, unique things to exist that right now can't. Right? We're saying we're saying no to something that's really unique, a boutique kind of experience. And I'm really curious to see what else might come from this. It would be special and wonderful as a part of how our mastery evolves. And so I'm, I'm excited about that. And if we don't allow it, if we if we clamp down on it for fear that it might be something negative, 
we'll, we'll never, we'll never, we'll never get there. So I get that there's risk. I personally think that there's more possible upside and I feel comfortable that again, liquor law, revocable SUPs um, and uh, size limitations are going to protect us. So because of that, mm -hmm. I, I'm uh, leaning mm -hmm. towards support. And I do anticipate that every applicant that comes before us for an SUP, comes before the commission, is going to be special and unique and boutique. And all so. those superlatives from every so. single SUP so. that then... Yeah. So you've, got, you've got a great I, point on, on the criteria so for SUP, I'm just, right? You've got a great mm -hmm. point on that. Interruption to the square footage question. I, I did. I did look it up. I, I was confusing. We there is a, is a space above us that we had previously been partnering with um, a, a, a restaurant um, that was you know that was part of our, our business model. Um, and I, that twenty four hundred is their square footage. Ours is eighteen seventy seven, eight one thousand eight hundred seventy seven. So just just to clarify, ours is is like almost half of, of what we're proposing. So. I thought you might say it was 3,050 and then, oh! A process question for staff. Um, so if this tax amendment were approved, um, does that somehow preclude changing it again with the, with the discussion of the land development code? No. No, it, 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 it well, we know that we've, we've had these conversations with the consultants and mm -hmm. just kind of get a handle on how this works. If, you know, the world's evolving and the code's still going to be going on there, they're tracking these along with us. So it does not preclude us from changing it as the code evolves. So if we see a different way that the code is responding or treating in different mm -hmm. things, this does not set us in stone for that to be at that time. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm sitting in a different position than I did a year ago in my knowledge of what's happening mm. and downtown this business model this establishment and what we're talking about this is not the problem the problem is the cheap alcohol at the larger bars mm. which is contributing to a lot of issues downtown that everyone's struggling with um and it's just getting worse. So I don't know where it's going to go. But I mean, that's, I guess that's to your point that about where are we going with even more alcohol down? Mm -hmm. Now, this size isn't going to be the problem, especially at the price point. <laughs> that's not where we're getting our big problem unless it's DUI even go home. Um, but it's not the, the the fights and the brawls, which are going on constantly um, around, along Massachusetts. And I don't know what is, what's contributed to that, but it is noticeably getting worse. I mean, all of us have seen it, I'm sure. Drive by um, Einstein Bagels at about quarter till six in the morning, and it is just lined up with people in chairs and, you know, grocery carts and everything else. I mean, that's what that's what downtown is becoming. And I don't know, you know, late night drinking, I don't know what that does for it, but we have bigger problems. So I don't know where I am on this. I just know that we're probably, we might change it in a year. It might just go away when we do the new land development. 
So that's where we are now. Um, I think the city commission really needs to mm -hmm. talk more about it. And I know just by judging what the conversation mm -hmm. has been is we're probably going to have this to ask. But I'm going to vote in a no with this setup. We have, there are bigger issues. John Brown is not going to be, they're not the problem on the, where they are, but the larger bars, which we are outside of our regulations now, that's where we're having a problem. More shootings happen outside the larger venues that are outside of the current code. That's, that's where we've had the problem. So I don't know how we address that. So they don't have to follow the 4555? Not if they were here before. I see. I see. And they were. So that's, yeah. you know, they're outside of this code right now. Yeah. And when we change the land development code, these rules will still apply to John Brown if this thing passes. Right. Until they make significant changes that trigger the need to change. All, everything's going to be grandfathered for a while. Which yeah. is going to make the job of this commission even harder for a while. Right. I'm not sure mm -hmm. I am. Yeah. I think I'm going to mm -hmm. no mm -hmm. just because this is a larger. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It needs a larger discussion. I think that's my point. And plus, I'm just very leery of in any way hurting or potentially allowing replacement of the very little retail that's struggling downtown. In some of the, you know, in terms of those smaller area, those smaller little venues um, for retail, um, I want to give them the best chance possible um, for that mixed use downtown. So that's kind of where I'm. I am. So I know this is a very unique, interesting business. Um, offers a unique boutique experience, um, but so will the next one and the next one. And I'm just, I'm, I just, I would like to see a larger discussion of uh, of downtown. And I'm 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 not I'm afraid I, I just can't support it um, without that larger discussion. Code. I have a question, just procedural question. I I, I see that the city commission initiated this amendment, but what exactly does that mean? Was that one commissioner said look into this, or was there a a vote that sent it to us? How did it land here? So per code, when an applicant submits a text amendment, it is required to go to the city, commi city commission to initiate the amendment. So the city commission is not, they could uh, decide not to initiate the amendment and then it doesn't move forward, but they've allowed the amendment to move forward to kind of have this conversation that we're having this evening. So anytime an applicant submits a text amendment, it goes to the city commission to be initiated. Got it. So they were really just kickstarted the process. It, it's not that they had already had discussion or weighed in around this recently and then kicked it down to us. That's still coming, presumably. Correct. Thank you. And I, they really hope to get community input and discussion at the Planning Commission to help when it comes back to them to make a final decision or to make final tweaks to it. But we're not having that conversation tonight except among ourselves <laughs> yes so that's it's a great discussion to have at least the city commission will look at this meeting um hear the discussion and maybe at the city commission meeting there will be public present 
public comment present yeah. and there'll be more further discussion yeah. so if i could just make yes. a couple of observations i think you know i i, I completely respect uh what um what the chair and commissioner carpenter are saying you know i would also just observe you know as in every one of these cases we are also the public we're a reasonably diverse group of folks in terms of where we live and our interaction with downtown as a neighbor of downtown i've lived three blocks from downtown for 22 years this is something i'm supporting um i, I you know my family spends probably a lot of money downtown um it's our choice of it's our first choice of retail um so my comment earlier was a little flippant but it was not meant without affection um and one of the things i observe from a from a planning background and a community development background is that you know any neighborhood is an ecosystem that relies on people and one of the things that also will, would cause downtown to lose its unique character is an increasing number of empty storefronts that attracts fewer and fewer people. And that I think this kind of measure, while it can, it this um, Commissioner Rexford uh, said, it can bring risk. It can also bring a reward by uh, feeding that ecosystem. You know, you think about the kinds of things you wanna do on an evening. You can go to a movie, you can go out for drinks at an adult establishment and not have to go to a, you know, as as uh, Commissioner Carpenter said, you know, a place with cheap drinks in a, in a big warehouse. Uh, you go to a used bookstore that we won't name. I mean, there are lots of things that you can do over the course of an evening. And I just think that this kind of measure potentially adds to that. So I, it's, okay. it's, it's, I, I support, mm -hmm. support it despite the risk mm -hmm. and without reservation. Um, well, um, I would like just to mention if if the applicant could um, maybe speak a little about what benefits will this change as percentage will bring to your business is something that I just haven't heard yet. Yeah. Uh, what What do you think, or what you know? I, I don't want you to give me details about the business, but you know, how what benefits do you see about going from yeah. you know to to ninety percent? So to, uh, your question is, is directed toward, toward our business, on not business in general. I got you. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So um, no, that, that's a great question and, and one that I, I could talk for for a long time about um, the. The percentage that that is is currently or the, the one where we are beholden to for lack of a better word is um again like we, we understand why, why why it is there but the this this new per percentage that we're proposing um or like w with with the help of y'all um would allow us to do what it is we actually have a passion for and what we actually have knowledge in and what we actually have you know like experience doing it and what we've what we've been been like refining our, our our skills in and our, our have used our experience to be be better and better and like have turned into what i believe you know to be when in, in one of the best bars in the midwest um and that's you know that's you know obviously i'm biased but but i but it's uh it that all of that requires us having the space and the time and and the the focus to do what it is we 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 love and what we do best and to and to not need to then allocate for instance space and time and and labor to to the person to meeting that other percentage the, the requirements that meeting that other percentage would would mean if that makes sense um we 
we, we, as we've talked about, we have a very, very small space. And so any change, any change beyond what we, beyond that 90% um, to like what our requirements would, would entail would mean giving up a drastic amount of, of space and time and energy toward something that we, we don't frankly love to do. And, and that's not to, to speak ill on, on food or, or retail or anything like that. There are a number of incredible, obviously restaurants downtown. And, and we believe that, that, that it, in, in, in a world where we would be required to do something that we are not good at to do something that we are good at, we, we believe that that in, in large part would be like, not just, not just a bummer for us, but like fairly insulting to those who do do an incredible job downtown Lawrence at, at doing food or retail, whatever it might be, at, at, of which there are many. Um, we, there are, there are a number of incredible restaurants and we believe that, that they are good at what they do for a reason. And, and, and we want to continue to do what it is that, that we do best and continue to grow and continue to, to improve and be better. Just like, you know, I, I know that restaurants want to do and retail wants to do. Um, if you, if you, for instance, I, I, I don't know what, what all of your, your professions are, of course, but but I, I would suspect that for those of you who are not in, in the restaurant business, if you, for some reason, were required to to all of a sudden make 55% of your revenues from whatever you do from food, that you might not be so good at doing the the thing that you actually do anymore, right? Um, and that's, of course, you know, that's, that's kind of silly and hyperbolic, but like, I, I think it gets the point across that like, while yes, these are adjacent worlds, that this is not, it's not what we do. It's not what we're good at. And it's not, even though we love, I love food. It's not what I love to do. It's not what I, what my, my area of knowledge and expertise and, and care is in. Um, so it, it, does that, does that kind of help out? It does. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah, and, and, and to real quick speak on you made an incredible point, uh, Commissioner Carter about, about the, the vibrancy of downtown. Uh, it was mentioned earlier that some of these, someone said, I'm, I'm old enough to remember liquor by the drink. I'm old enough to, I grew up in Lawrence and I was born here. I'm old enough to remember when on Thursday nights, for instance, there, there, there was this kind of accepted general rule that the retail and every, everywhere stayed open until eight o'clock at least. And there was this kind of like lovely nighttime yeah. sort of, sort of like, you know, uh, vibrant kind of atmosphere. And I remember like, you know, going with my parents out and we, and we of course didn't stop in a bar, but, but we went to the Raven all the time. We went to, we went to Love Garden and I would, I would get to pick out a record if I was good that day. And, um, and we, we would go have dinner at La Perea when it was, when it was at, at its original location. And all of that was like really fun. And for, for what I remember anyway, <clears throat> and, um, I, I, I know that downtown is hurting. I know we all know that. And, and I know that there's not one solution that can fix all of that, but I, I, and, and, and yes, of course, there are risks, of course, involved. And, but, and, and it, it may be naive to think this way, but I, I, I like to think that in a world where per, like places like us and, and permits can be handed out responsibly toward places like us, that it would increase the like population of, of lovely, responsible people who like are interested and excited about being out downtown. Um, and, and I, I, I miss that about, about downtown Lawrence. And I, I know it's, it's not all gone. Of course, it's, it's still an incredible place to be, but I, I would like to would like for there to be more reasons for people to go out. And I think that foot traffic in general, whether it's someone coming, coming for wherever, whatever, for retail or for a bar, foot traffic helps everybody. And I think that like, that's something that is not talked about enough in, in the like parking, uh, uh, discussion diaspora and, the. Uh, you know, uh, the, like the general, like fighting over, over parking spaces and, 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 and like how much we are allocating certain spaces to certain, certain like types of businesses. Like 
it's all it's all great if we can get if more people are there, right? If it's if people are there, it increases everybody's I don't know possibilities for success and possibilities for being a, a, a viable business. And so, um, with that said, I, I, I totally hear that all, all the concerns that, that y'all put forth about you know retail and 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 um, in, in like potentially cutting that off uh, artificially for to some extent. But I, yeah, I just want to say like that, that was that was a great point. And, and like it, I wanted to bring up the the Thursday night thing because I, I, I really missed that. Yeah, I hope we can get back to that. Thank you. Other comments before I ask for a motion? Oh, can I have a motion then, please? You want to? Sure. I move that we forward the proposed amendment to the City of Lawrence Code Chapter 20 to modify standards pertaining to eating and drinking establishments to the Lawrence City Commission with a recommendation for approval. I have a second. 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 Um, for discussion, I'll just say that um, despite the very eloquent arguments on either side of me um, and from um, the applicant, um, my vote will just be a signal that I'm very concerned about what's what's happening downtown, and I and I and I will vote no just out of concern and as a, a red flag that we really need to to discuss this and how to bring back. Thursday night, something like that, which I love dearly when it was when it was around. So. Well, call for the vote then. Thank you. Commissioner Ashworth? No. Commissioner Baroto? Yes. Commissioner Carpenter? No. Commissioner Carter? Yes. Commissioner Duvar? Yes. Commissioner Munch? Yes. Commissioner Rexrode? Yes. Commissioner Thomas? Yes. Motion passes six to two. All right. Thank you all. Thank you for being here and hanging with us um, tonight. Can I just say one thing. Um, our city Director. commission, our city commission, chartered this group with looking into an issue that's big for Lawrence, and this group uh, with your leadership did a very, very good job of talking that all the way through. Did come to consensus. No, but I'm sure this will job. be listened to by group. the city commission. Um, hopefully they'll, they'll listen to our discussion and take that to heart. Thank you for, for, for being here and having patience. <laughs> so we are at the end of our evening. Um, are there, is there any consideration of other business before this body tonight? Nope. And then I asked for a motion to recess. Oh, to, um, can I just ask yes. where we are with the update of the Land Development Code? What's going on as a member of the steering committee and being clueless as to where we are with all of this? <laughs> as his shadow and feeling the same. <laughs> right now, the uh, the staff, or the, uh, excuse me, the consultants are working with staff, kind of going chapter by chapter, looking through the code and having those. And right now, um, make sure I get my right terminology correct here they are working through what's called a code assessment the old way of calling it would have been a diagnostic going through the code finding out what what lies where how does it connect where does all the things go so that code assessment takes quite a while because we've we've got 550 plus pages to to dive through and, and get going on so they are in that process at the moment there is we're trying to figure out when that next steering committee meeting will be scheduled uh you know it's not a standing meeting so it's kind of a, in an ad hoc uh, set up. I know we're talking in probably the next couple months to be getting that next meeting scheduled and on the books. And so it's, they're doing a very deep dive. They're going through all the nuts and bolts and details to it. And it's just 
we got a lot of code and so it's going to take us a bit but i would say you could probably see something in the next uh few months for schedule for that kick back to the, the excuse me that kickoff coming back to the steering committee to have those conversations about what we heard in the first round and then also what that diagnostic is looking like as we proceed so about more to come is the best way to put it okay. can i have a move uh anybody want a motion to adjourn I'll move Second. You look reluctant to end the meeting there. You're right. <laughs> I want to keep going. Any discussion? <laughs> call, call for the vote then, please. Commissioner Ashworth? Yes. Commissioner Barotto? Yes. Commissioner Carpenter? Yes. Commissioner Carter? Yes. Commissioner Duvor? Yes. Commissioner Munch? Yes. Commissioner Rexford? Yes. Commissioner Thomas? Yes. Motion passes 8 to 0. Meeting adjourned. Thank you all very much. Very good. Very good. Very good.